this program to bring you a special report. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 76 of Not A Robot Podcast's DC Comics Review Show. Uh, today is a very special episode. Um, as always, I have my amazing co-host here with me, Rob. Happy New Year, humans, and one day, one day, I will share my 25-point presentation on why Castlevania is the best game franchise ever. I, I can't wait to see it. Person alive. I can't wait to see it, dude. Uh, and Josh. Hello, humans. Uh, now, before we get into, today, into today's comics, um, we have a very special guest with us, one I'm very excited to have on the show, and I hope everyone else is. Um, joining us today is, is my friend Nathan uh, Payson. He is a writer over at Comic Book Herald and a, a good friend of mine that, um, well, I think he tells the story better than I do of how we met, um, but also a... a a fellow follower of, of comics and all things DC as well. Um, so, Nathan, do you want to introduce yourself? Hello, humans. My name is Nathan Bott, and I oh, am so happy to talk to all of you today. Um, why thank does, you. Why does everyone that comes on this show have to do that? <laughs> okay, I'm so yeah, sorry, everyone. No, 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 you're fine. Okay. It's fine. Um, so it's a good, for those who don't know me, I'm Nathan Payson. Um, I write for the Comic Book Herald. Um, I do reading orders. So, for example, if you've ever tried to access the Infinite Frontier reading order on Comic Book Herald, I wrote that. Um, I also do reviews. Recently, I've reviewed The Joker Volume 1, Batman Volume 4, Superman, uh, The One Who Fell. And I have a review. I don't remember if it's out right now or not, but it's going to be out really soon for Catwoman Volume 5, um, The Valley of Shadow and Death. Um, and I've also got a big uh, six-part comics uh, look back on DC's 2021 your interview um so i've got a lot of work if you don't know who i am you can go check me out on twitter at pace nathan um and brandon and i we met so it was really random right because i get invited to this friend group i'm like okay i'll go i normally don't go to the sort of stuff and I, we, we start talking we sit at lunch and apparently brandon got the same invite but he was super late because it was raining really hard and he had spent and he came in soaking wet and he was like I spent all day looking for a store and I was like, just curious, what store are we looking for? I was like, um, 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 I all know. And I was like, Brandon, what's, what store are you looking for? He's like, a bookstore. I was like, what kind of bookstore were you looking, what were you looking for at the bookstore? He's like, uh, he just went and tell me what book he got at the bookstore. Right. Um, and so we're talking, chatting through lunch. And then, um, and I mentioned my work at Comic Book Herald just briefly, cause I'm like trying to make a point about something. And Brandon goes, wait, what? Um, cause you know, he's this big nerd and, um, and he was dramatic. like, someone mentioned comics and then we just started, we spent the next hour like chatting about comics until it was like, oh, we should probably do other stuff. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's how good friendships are born. Right? Exactly. Common interests. Um, but yeah, it, to be fair, I was, so I was still pretty, to be fair, to be fair, I was still pretty new to that friend group myself. <laughs> and so I, I've always been a little bit more cagey about, you know, letting people know about some of my hobbies because sometimes they'll either just be like, uh, nerd or, you know, they'll just like, they just have no interest in it. Um, oh, but, come so, on, man. Not, yeah. Being a nerd also, is cool. <laughs> also, you yeah. are a nerd. So I'm definitely a nerd. Don't pretend you're not. Nerd yeah. pride, um, but I, I never, I never know. So um, usually, usually I'm just I'm a little bit more cagey about that at first. Um, so yeah, when he I, when he first asked, I was just like, oh, you know, story, whatever. Um, but he, yeah, he had mentioned it like once or twice, and I, I didn't really give him an answer. 
But um, yeah, once he had mentioned comics, like in that context, I just my eyes lit up, and it was just a very dramatic. Like, wait, what the? What are you talking about? <laughs> you want to keep going? Um, so yeah, no, it was really great, and um, like you said, writes these amazing, um, you know, stuff over at at uh, at Comic Tale that you should all definitely check out. I have. I didn't realize I was talking to Nathan Besson. Yeah, no. That's, and, and that's why I think, you know, when he had mentioned Comic Book cool. Herald that time, I was like, oh, dude, I love that site because I use it all the time when I'm putting my, my own books together uh, for, for my reading orders and my, my collection and stuff. So mm-hmm. uh, I also, I forgot to mention, I also did a deep future state deep dive for the future state reading order where I went through every story and tried to explain where it goes in the context of the whole event, creating the whole timeline of the event. That was really fun. Um, anyway, yeah. thank you so much. Uh, it's one of those funny things because I know a lot of people use the the website, but like I obviously don't get a lot of like uh, it's like people don't know me for that in a sense. It's just like everyone uses it, so I always just find it kind of funny. Like the number of people I've met who are like, "Oh yeah, I use that," and we go, "Oh really?" You know, <laughs> so it's kind of well, fun. Yeah. yeah, I think being a comics podcast, uh, comics review podcast, we're kind of we kind of have a habit of acknowledging creators and writers and whatnot. Yeah. 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 Especially for some, you know, some stuff we use pretty often. Um, yeah, you're good. Exactly. Yeah. But with all also, that being said, Oh, Brandon ahead. mentioned me last week in a podcast. So it's just called continuity guys. Yeah. So yeah. So it was now, accidentally set up. Now, you know that I, I'm not lying. I do actually have friends. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and here he is. I, I, I present him to you. Um, no, I'm just kidding. Um, but yes, with, with all that being said, um, let's get into some, some news for this week. Um, of course, make sure you stick around until the end of each episode uh, to hear our top three books of the week, The Biggest Stinker, and to find out which titles might just make the dump list. Um, but before we get going with uh, the rest of our announcements, um, as you know, we have uh, transitioned away from uh, Patreon. Um, we're using a new website now uh, called Buy Me a Coffee, and again, that you can access at. Um, and I'm pulling up the link now. I really should have put this in my script. That's um, fine. It's BuyMeACoffee.com yes. forward slash N A R podcasts. There we go. That's plural because we got way more than one. Yes. Yeah. Um, and and like Josh said, it I, doesn't have to be a subscription. It can be a one-time donation. So. Feel free to visit that site uh, if you want to continue to support us. With all that out of the way, let's get into some news. Uh, guys, what's uh, what's new with you this uh, this week or just personally? It's the uh, new year, so any any exciting stuff on the horizon? I, I've My... spent the last hour just messing with a bot on Instagram chat, and it's fantastic. <laughs> if you pick the right keywords, you just have them go in a loop. Just saying, I'm not a robot. Oh, I'm not a robot. Excellent. Yeah. Excellent. Lovely. I think I don't know if you guys have been doing this, but there's this new Twitter trend called Wordle. Um, that everybody like everybody on Twitter has been doing, which is kinda wild. But the basic idea is it's like this game of mastermind where like you type in a word and then for each letter it tells you which letters are in the actual word and which letters aren't and which letters are have in the right spot. And then like everybody on the internet plays it and so it's like every day there's one word and everyone does it for like three minutes and they get off or then like they show the results. And, um, and that's been really fun. I've been doing it for the last like 12 days or so. And uh, I just, for the first time ever, didn't get the word. So I was really sad. But the word was banal. So it was rough. <laughs> I bet it was. <laughs> <laughs> word 
number one <laughs> is all, of course. <laughs> oh, we gotta check that. Maybe we can get in our own Twitter doing that too. Maybe. Sounds like an interesting. Sounds sounds like fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, the only thing personal going on over here is uh, next weekend. I'm actually gonna finally get my driveway fixed. Hey. And it's got it's it's got like a six foot wide by four by four foot wide by four foot deep cave in, so it's kind of important. <laughs> it's a pretty big one, but that's getting fixed, so that's good news. That's great news. Uh, nothing new for me, really. Um, I finally um, am, am free from my my sickness um which actually turned out to be covid so that was less than pleasant um but uh but thankfully i i had uh tested negative two days ago so i'm on the recovery now feeling a lot better thankfully good because i mean it would have been really irresponsible for you to show up and give that to all of us i know right (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah um, it's transmissible through the internet. Yeah, tran- transmissible through the internet. Um, the true type of take, virus. Yeah. Take, oh, wow. take a bath in borax and you'll be fine. First episode and he's already making puns. But um, that's why in, I like it. Fits him. in perfectly. Um, <laughs> but uh, but yeah, with um, with that being said, uh, do you guys want to get into some comic news? Does anybody have any? Uh, Rob I got, always, I got Rob a couple does. things I saw. Um, one of them is, I don't know if you guys saw, but apparently CW is uh, under consideration to be sold right now. Really? Um, which can mean, uh, yeah, uh, according to the Wall Street Journal, uh, I'm gonna, uh, this is from, the, I'm reading it from the Hollywood Reporter, though. Um, the, uh, the, the CW chief, Mark Pedowitz, confirmed that the, neighbor, the network is on the block, adding that it's too early to speculate what might happen. But they're considering selling it right now. Um, I don't know oh. what that would mean for the Arrowverse shows or HBO Max or how those shows work with HBO Max as a whole. But it is something interesting to follow. I, I, man, I really, really, really hope that it goes to somebody that'll give a shit. I mean, Guggenheim and Berlanti have gotten a lot of superhero shows off the ground. I just don't think that they've handled them quite well as showrunners. And while Rob still watches everything, I gave up a long time ago. I really only watch Legends of Tomorrow at this point. I watched everything until Heroes until the uh, big Crisis on Infinite Earths event. And then afterwards, it's like, oh, I'm all excited. And then I went like three episodes and it's like, eh, I'm actually kind of good. Like we made it to the end of the event and I was like, okay. I'm kind of good to set it down. So I've watched, I watched Star. I've been watching, I watched all the DC Universe stuff because at the time, before I was at Comic Book Herald, I was a forum writer. I was writing on the forums a lot for DC Universe, uh, the comic streaming service, and um, that was kind of my little niche area. And I was, and I was write, I would write stuff there. But I was watching all this, the the DC Universe show, so Doom Patrol, Titans, Swamp Thing, all that stuff. And um, when Stargirl moved to CW, I was just like, uh, I just wasn't into it anymore. I was just like, I don't know. It's just something about the CW just really was isn't exciting me right now. And I don't know what it is, but like none of the shows have really clicked for me since. No, I'm right there with you. I, I, I trudged and dragged myself through the very ending of Arrow 
and that's when I said I just I didn't even get can't that far. Do this anymore. Yeah. yeah. But the season finale was really the season finale like that last season was really good. So, I enjoyed it. Yeah, that was that was an interesting one. It's more just that like I think the big problem is we've come to an era in TV where everything's so much smaller and tighter where it's like for example, Hawkeye is six episodes. WandaVision yeah. is like nine 30 minute episodes. All these prestige television and big budget shows are really small in their number of episodes. And so they're really tight, right? When Book of Boba Fett's coming out right now and it's only like an hour, but it's like very tight TV. And you can, mm-hmm. and like the, the story arc is complete. Like the first story arc of the season seems to be complete, right? And with right. these much tighter shows, it's so weird to then go, hey, you want to watch a 26 episode TV show? <laughs> I'm like, no, thank you. <laughs> it's like, about what? Um, Iris West. <laughs> I'm like I'm good. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. No, you you guys are, are all a lot braver than I was. I think I got to Flash season two, and then I was like, yeah, no, this is I'm done. This is it. This is as far as I can go before I tap out. So everything would just like I I remember, um, like being at a at a convention in like 2016 or so. Right before I think right around, or maybe it might have been before they're about to launch Supergirl. And I was like, I am so out of the loop with this. I have no idea what's even going on in this universe, but I guess they're greenlighting all these shows, so it must be doing well. Do you remember when they announced they're gonna make a Yara Floor CW show? I do remember that. And I I still, like, apparently they made a pilot, but like- Yeah, they made the pilot. I don't know. I'm, I'm still I'm still questioning how far into development they actually got. That no, they canceled it. They canceled it. Yeah. They just made it the pilot, and they were like, "No, we're they weren't they weren't happy yeah. with it." But like, I just Good, don't understand cause... what the CW is doing. Like, that's my bigger thing: is where is the path forward for the CW? Well, because I'm I'm, I'm almost I'm almost wondering because you know obviously it, it sounds like that probably got optioned, you know, alongside. Um, uh, well, maybe I feel like Naomi probably got optioned earlier, but I'm just wondering if they were juggling between the two and they're like, well, we have one, you know, young adult show about a, a young girl becoming a superhero and then another show about a young girl becoming a superhero. Do we really need two. And but you know what the we'll funny part about both of them the is? Neither of them had serious content for readers to <laughs> care about the characters with. Naomi yep. had a six-part <laughs> series so where if you ask if you ask anybody on the street what Naomi's powers are, literally no one knows. Like yeah. there's they, something with they light. They still haven't been. Yeah, they, they still haven't, haven't been, been clearly defined. Something no, with multiverse and something with the light, and that's all here, we know. Here's the here's the real funny part of of what people remember. Do you guys remember when there was like a little speculator like rise around the Naomi series back yeah. in 2018? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Like I I remember I. Well, I feel like that's a story for another time, but um, I remember I had, just on a whim, I'd had my copy of Naomi number one because I was picking up all the, the um, Wonder Comics books just to, you know, kind of like try them out and see what they were about. And then I remember seeing like some article, probably it was on Bleeding Cool or something, and it was just like, people are selling copies for, you know, like 50 60 $70. I was like, oh shit, I'm rich in a very small capacity. <laughs> But like for for a brief moment, I was like, I could sell this and actually make some money, and I bought this without a thought in the world. Yeah, <laughs> and then look what happened. Yeah, here's but here's why I think that they decided to go with Naomi versus Yara Floor. Yara Floor is a Wonder Woman character. 
That means that it's got deep mythos. It's got people that are going to want certain things that happen in it, regardless of what uh, tribe of Amazons or, or, or however you would like to refer to them, um, that she comes from, there's going to be a whole lot of expectation and building up that kind of a universe would be very expensive. On the other side of the coin, we have a DC character who is somehow really popular with barely a backstory, no clearly defined current story, and no clearly defined power sets, which gives the network free reign to do whatever they want with that blank character that for some reason is popular. Mm-hmm. That goes well for them. Yeah. I think Yara Floor is just a much better character based off oh. the last year of comics. Um, Me too. Sin, Me too. I, I love her, man. I just, it's <laughs> not like, I don't want to go on a big Ben this rant right now because uh, <laughs> yeah, I've no. already you gone on, everybody in the world's gone on multiple Ben this rants. Yeah. Uh, in my, part, you, you in my six part series, I went on a different Ben this rant where I called Justice League the worst series from DC this year. Uh, and I've just overall just been really disappointed in everything that he's been doing. Um, and I think a lot of that stems from Naomi just like has been shoved into everything, but like, there's not been good investment in Naomi. And I know Naomi season two is coming and hopefully it'll be good. I'm nervous because I like the first book, but I really need a lot of things to be answered in the second season. And I'm not right. currently convinced that that's going to happen. And if we it do does, not need great. another Sinmar of Sinmar from Sinmar. Sinmar. Yes. Yeah. I still can't believe Ben. This is like, you know what are my Justice League series needs? Sinmar. Yeah. The character who no one liked in Superman. Who, like, if they read it. And then he was like, you know what? I've been doing okay with Justice League so far. It's not been terrible. It's just been kind of rough. Let's, you know, <sighs> torpedo it to the ground with Sinmar. <laughs> Right, <laughs> who somehow See, got I Sinmar? Had, I hadn't even I hadn't even been reading Superman, so Sinmar showing up was like I don't even know what's going on. It was like nobody else did either. It was like Superman's twenty six in re in like the Bendis Superman run it was yeah. like his and he had like a three part story. It was really bad, and I don't think anybody read it. So uh, yeah, I sure as hell didn't. Was he, I don't I, know. I read it just because I'm on the damn comic podcast. I didn't have a choice, <laughs> yeah. but when I finally got a decent group of people, we made a decision to create a dump list. And for yeah. a while there, yeah. we just shuffled off Justice League and just covered the Justice League Dark Backup. Yeah, and it was I don't know for for a while it was just kind of like I I loved covering the Justice League Dark stuff, but it was just it was painful because it it is the weirdest thing to have to cover where you basically say yeah this was a really good backup and and i i think you all should check it out but then to do that you have to spend you know five dollars with the rest of the book which creates this you know adverse effect of making that portion of the book do well and so it's like how the hell am i supposed to recommend this right without you know making that one sell too so it was just weird and it, it like after a while i just started feeling weird doing it like i can't it puts us in a weird position because yeah, we're like hey you know the backup's great, but yeah. if you if you buy this, then it's just gonna beef up the sales of the main story, and yeah. we don't yeah. want that. So I, yeah. I think we said like just make sure the annual did well, um, and then they're doing the obviously the collected edition with all the backups. 
sometime soon, I think. So they are. I still haven't seen any of that stuff. I've been really wondering is like if my job is to write about where to buy stuff. And there's like <laughs> none of the back issues or backup stories are anywhere. Like you no. can't there none of them are trade are tradable. Yeah, no, so apparently, I don't know what's going on with that. Yeah, apparently Ram V said there is gonna be an entire which again, I, I don't think I've ever seen that before, except for the um they have like the the question backups that Greg Rucco was doing in Detective a while back in the 2010s, I think. It's like the only time I've ever seen this where you had backup stories be collected as a separate story in its own trade paperback um, for for you know other people to read. Um, well, I definitely think it needs to be done. Yeah, 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 but you know it's it's generally pretty telling if people are clamoring for the backup more than they are for the main story to the point where yeah. they literally had to remove it from you know, the next four issues of his run. The last four issues, really. Well, the last four issues is bringing the Justice League stories and the Justice League dark stuff together, right? Yeah. It'll be, so like the yeah, next, it's... so the la- it'll be like 30, will be like both stories combined. So we'll see yeah. how that goes, but yeah, but It's, know. you know, it, it, clearly they were seeding other stuff in the, the Justice League annual that I think Bendis is not going to have a part of. So yeah. I think, I think clearly they've moved on. They're like, all right, we're ready for what's next. Um, mm. Yeah, no. Um, that if you will... want a, a fun Justice League story, just read the it's seven issues Justice League Infinity. Especially <laughs> if you're a fan of the the 2000s cartoon, it, it was mm. such a fun read. Or hot Hi, take: do Does DC Comics even need a Justice League series? Like, oh, <laughs> like okay. So <laughs> yeah. of, in the last six years, okay, only one run in Justice League has been decent and important to the overall universe. That was Scott Snyder's run. And that Amen. run famously torpedoed the entire line with Year of the Villain uh, and took the entire line uh, and broke a lot of, and like ruined a lot of stories for Year of the Villain and really hurt the continuity oh, of the run man. as a whole. And then it proceeded to end before the big finale event, Justice League uh, or uh, Death, Death Metal, which then led to a multiple like 13 or 14 issues where Justice League was just completely random meaningless stories again so i just never like in my time reading comics from like 2015 to today i've never seen a justice league run that actually felt worth it for the line as a whole it can be done but i think what really needs to happen is there just needs to be a clear direction right because throughout history Mm -hmm. there have been pockets of justice league books that you have a certain creative team come on they have a very clear and distinct plan of what they want to do and then they execute it, right? And then, you know, generally yeah. it, it does pretty well um, for all its its faults and flaws. And there are many that I can cite. The New 52 iteration of the Justice League did at the very least have a clear plan. Yeah, Was it executed well? Again, that's arguable. But but it like if you, because I, you know, I, I went through the whole run like a couple of years ago. If you read it from beginning to end, there's a clear story that is being told starting with Darkseid and ending with Darkseid. So that like that is executed. It's just again, you need someone to come in with a plan to kind of say, okay, here's what I want to do. Here's how I want to lay it out, and then we're gonna do that. Um, and I mean, yes, that was a part of the Scott Snyder stuff, but I think it just fell apart as they got closer to death metal, because um, they really wanted to be the Jonathan Hickman Avengers run, but they didn't understand how that run worked. So true enough, uh, it didn't work. True enough. Um, but yes, yeah. So. Um, I'm sure that's a, a discussion we could get into to more, um, but is there any other news you guys want to uh, talk about before we get into our books? Rob, you got anything? Uh, I actually don't. I've, 
I know I, I probably saw something at the beginning of the week, but it slipped my mind, and I don't have anything pressing to talk about. But I'm going through my feeds one more time just to make a double check. Mm-hmm. Well, I got I got three other stories we could talk about. Uh, yeah, shoot. So I'm look at me, right? Uh, Sean Martinbow is doing. This is, a rest this is of why you're story. here. We we right? <laughs> want you to just have fun for. Uh, so we know Sean Martinbow is doing a Red Hood story. Uh, it's only been really reported on Bleeding Cool, so I'm reading. I want to say trusted with grain of salt because it's literally on Sean Mar- Martin Bro's website. Uh, but he on his website it says Sean is writing a new, soon to be announced Gotham City project for DC Comics. This six part series will be released in 2022 alongside a Red Hood logo. Um, and then on Twitter he posted at DC Comics coming 2022 before it ended up being I assume asked to delete it because it's no longer on his Twitter account. Uh, for those who don't know who Sean Martin Bow is, he did the Red Hood run for num- Red Hood number 51 and 52 right before um, Future State. So it was like the end of Rebirth. He did two stories. Um, people were generally kind of positive on them, um, but I thought that story was mm, interesting. That's not what I remember. <laughs> I think it was a little more mixed. Okay. Um, it, but... it was a definitely mixed reaction, but yeah, I myself we'll was a fan, but I'm I'm a Red Hood fan yeah. and an Artemis um, and Bizarro fan, so... Sean yeah, Martin Brow is is a, I think in my opinion a very talented artist, but I wasn't quite sure about his writing ability. Again, for me, you know, I heavily associate him with his his run on Detective Comics with Greg Rucka, which I still uh-huh. hold is the best run of of any continuing Batman I've ever read. Um, Whoa! But, oh yeah, no, it's, uh, it's my that's a favorite. that's a hefty statement. It is, my it, is it is my absolute and and I can. Again, we will we will not argue about it too much, but it's it's. Um, I've Black talked about yeah. I've, I've talked about some of the runs. Tinian's Detective Comics. Oh well, shish. yeah. That was again. I struggled with that for a while, but I think I put that at second place. It was my favorite to read in high school, and it's still one of my top five. I wow, um, this is wild. Yeah, that, no, it's, that uh, kind of blows my mind, man. I know, I know, but I just again, I've I've gone through that run at least three times in recent memory. But anyway, um, in, in terms of his writing ability, um, I, I think I would just need to see a little bit more um, because um, there were some spots that I thought were really good, just getting Jason back to Gotham, fairly grounded story outside of the Outlaws, but some of this stuff I feel could have been developed a little bit more. Maybe that's a problem with length. It was only two issues, but uh, I think we'll have to see um, you know, what, what could be there in the future. I think Martin Burrow, in, in the two issues that he did at that very end, he set up Red Hood with such personal growth and such a development of the character that, I mean, in, in two issues, it made me excited about the Red Hood character again. And I got to commend him for that, even if everyone else thinks it's shit. <laughs> I mean, I haven't, the only story I really haven't been reading is Task Force E, and I know you guys have been pretty positive on that so far. So Love I do find fun. the choice of having a Red Hood book right now a little strange, um, even if it's six-issue miniseries, because I don't know where you would place it in terms of Infinite Frontier. It could be a black label story, which I think might mm-hmm. make a little more sense, but I'm mm-hmm. just a little confused where Red Hood goes from here if he has his own miniseries coming up. Um yeah. And then for another story I had, uh, Brian from Brian Hitch, he tweeted today that his that he originally was working on a JSA series. JSA, um, I saw that. And he and they ended up being it ended up being canceled, and he ended up not doing it. Um, but he did a lot of concept Ooh. art for it. 
And so this was going to be, this was announced in Stargirl Spring Break uh, number one way back in May. And it was supposed to come out in late 2021. And it just didn't show up. And I was like, well, I guess it's probably not happening. And my best mm-hmm. guess is still part of what happened is DC didn't want to publish a Jeff John story. Um, given the Justice League. <laughs> well, also that, that, but also the Scott, the Snyder cut controversy. Yeah, with, yeah. Uh, from uh, without getting much into that, I think there was just enough baggage. It was like, okay, maybe we should have someone else do JSA, and then that's just taking a little bit to get ready. Yeah, right. Like, the, when's the, the right time to do it? The irony being, and and I just again, if if timing was a concern from DC editorial, I I would just find that to be hilarious because for anyone who is reading um, uh, Jeff Johns and Gary Frank, Jeff Johns. I don't know what the plural or the possessive. Anyway, their new book at at Image Geiger. Um, the the thing that I just found hilarious about that was everyone you know joked throughout Doomsday Clock that their timing was terrible and they took forever and um, you know launching a new book like that would be suicide. But every single issue of that book and it was like six issues. Every single issue of that book came out on time without fail. It was actually shocking. Um, That's yeah. Like, when you're like, trying to put down something as, let's say, in actually that was that was the case as for three, three jokers. jokers too. Yeah. yeah. If that, if, that if came that's out the on case. time, no delays, and they pushed out that collection fast, like faster than I've ever seen. I think the book wrapped in like October, and they had Bruh. a collected edition <laughs> by November. Which I wouldn't say that they pushed fast. out three jokers fast. <laughs> well, it was just it was it was no 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 it was it was the collected edition of the three issues that they put out uh, that was so fast that it, it almost made me question. It's like, at this point, why didn't you just put out, you know, the whole thing as, as an original graphic novel or something? Yeah, right. um, exactly. Yeah. So and that, then... that story with JSA was actually something I was about to bring up. I just read it myself. Uh, according to Brian Hitch, though, on his Twitter, it was their choice in the end for why it never got off the ground. Maybe it was a case of they were having creative issues and they just were taking too long. But they decided they they chose to go and do red coat in the end. Whatever red coat is, it's yeah part of their Geiger Geigerverse. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So um, that's cool, what they're cool. doing instead. But apparently it was their choice. Yeah, um, and then this is kind of a random story. But Marvel Unlimited actually this is a Marvel story, so I'll just say it real quick. <laughs> uh, Marvel Unlimited leaked uh, their entire lineup for February on. Uh, <laughs> So literally, comics that haven't been released in comic stores yet just showed up on Marvel Unlimited for three hours. Um, so you could wow. read X Men number seven. Uh, you couldn't read Lives and Deaths of Wolverine, but there was a ton of stories you could read that weren't supposed to come out for another month or so in comic shops, and then they were just on Unlimited, which was mm-hmm. wild. Um, and then I know then I know uh, that someone went Josh wanted to talk about this, uh, but there's a there was a story this weekend. From Stephanie Phillips, um, she. Uh, do you mind if I just read the tweet thread real quick? Uh, it's a really long thread. It's only but five tweets. Okay. Uh, I hope oh, everyone okay. had a happy, peaceful holiday. Unfortunately, mine wasn't great due to an impromptu five-day holiday stay. Um, I keep get. I keep going. I'm going to keep the reason private, but returning to hateful and vitriolic DMs and tweets questioning the intent of my work, denying my identity as a member of the queer community, threatening me, demanding I lose my job, all because of a comic book story. Wasn't exactly what I need to hear after all that stress. I understand that the readers are passionate about the characters they love. And this is in no way saying, um, 
Ah, my computer messed up. Okay, uh, no way saying that criticism shouldn't exist, but caring for fictional characters to the point where the harassment of real people and attempting to inflict real pain isn't acceptable. As a member of the queer community, of the, a queer member of the comics community, and one who has struggled to identify as, as such personally and publicly, this is not the behavior of allies. It's the behavior of toxic gatekeepers. I will continue to pour all my efforts into writing everything I love. I love my job, and I'm willing to have amazing collaborations and readers. So, for context, this tweet comes from Harley Quinn number ten. I know you guys didn't read it or cover it, but if you uh, didn't know, I read it. Okay, I have to. Um, I'm OCD. <laughs> um, so one of the big the big storyline there was Harley Quinn and uh, Ivy, right? Have been built up as this relationship all year from since or Batman Urban Legends number one, um, where Harley said, "Hey, I'm looking for Ivy," right? And then over the course of the year, we figured out where Ivy was, and then they slowly found themselves coming together. And at the end of Fear State, right, the two make out. And then Harley uh-huh. Quinn number 10, sort of about how Harley's a different person than Ivy was expecting and how they're not in the current place emotionally where and like personally where they can continue their relationship. And so Ivy's going off on her own for the rest of, for at least for the next little bit um, for some story we don't know about. And so they're not, so Ivy and Harley aren't going to be together in comics this coming year. And I think a lot of people were really hurt by that because there was a lot of expectations about what would be happening. And I think people lashed out at Stephanie Phillips because they were frustrated, partly because Ivy and Harley have a long history of queer baiting and like getting people to get invested in storylines for them, for Ivy and Harley not to end up getting their relationship told in a meaningful way. Agreed. Okay. Fair enough. Um, Fair enough. Yeah. It's just, I'm, I'm disappointed that there's this, hatred towards her because i think as like i'm i'm bisexual so i'm just speaking on my own personal thoughts and existence but for me comic like queer relationships are hard because for forever we haven't gotten them right and for me personally with harley quinn and ivy they're a long-standing queer relationship it's been talked about forever and harley quinn the anime series was this big moment where they came together but i think part of what's really frustrated me is that queer relationships don't need to be perfect. And there's this big pressure for a queer relationship in the media to be a perfect quote unquote relationship where everything goes smoothly, probably to be more accepting of the general audience and that relationships that are queer that don't go perfectly are often can receive a lot of hate because everybody wants like, like normal queer relationships or powerful, perfect queer relationships. But I think what was really powerful and I think is something that's important is relationships in real life aren't, clean you know sometimes people want to be together but realize they can't be you know and i think at some point as a queer community we have to find a way to accept the like when things don't connect and when things aren't going to work out for characters and accept relationships for the roller coaster they are rather than just being perfect and uh, i know we're going to talk about superman later today but i think that's to me is a similar sort of story of like this is a way too perfect relationship right and it's okay for relationships to be messy Anyway, oh, yeah, no, no so... uh, uh, Josh, you want to get into your uh, your drafted statement? <laughs> uh, well, yeah. Um, uh, before we get into the books, and uh, I'm probably going to suggest that we cut to a commercial right after the lightning round because <laughs> this has been a little long. But um, before we get started, there is something that I would like to say. It does reference what uh, Nathan had to say, but um, it's a little bit more. 
This may be a culling of the herd, so to speak, but I do feel that this needs to be said. Brandon, my resident censor, I promise this will be calm. <laughs> Please, and yes. It should to, only take about pause. five minutes. Would you mind if I took the floor for a few? Uh, yeah. I mean, I hope it's not that <laughs> long, but yeah, go for it. All right. This is me. I'd like to address comic book fans everywhere for just a moment. So here we go. I can't stand Tom King's writing style. I can barely stand his story structure. His Batman infuriated me. I do not like in any way, shape, or form Riley Rosmo's art. And I can't think of a single thing since Miles Morales that Brian Michael Bendis did well. I don't like his stories or the way he introduces or writes his characters. Joshua Williams' run on The Flash made me so apprehensive about him having the reins that I was incredibly worried about the future of the DC Comics over the next few years. I'm also very hit or miss with Howard, Howard Porter, Clayton Henry, and, and Michael Avon Omi. And don't even get me started on Sam Humphreys. I could keep that going for quite a while, but I think I've made my point clearly enough. I am a very opinionated comic fan. And I don't think anyone that's ever heard or talked to me about comics would ever deny that, least of all me. But I said all of that just to premise this. We, as fans, have every single right to not like something. We, as comic fans, have every single right to express our opinions if we don't like the way things are going in comics, in our favorite books, or with our favorite characters. If we didn't have those rights, there would be no point of this or many other comic book review podcasts. Recent events concerning backlash from stories have caught my attention and that is what I'm here to address. I can't think of a single person at all that doesn't want Harley Quinn and Ivy together. Not one. There, I've, I've said it. I've waited a very, very long time for them to get back together. This is not just from the LGBTQIA community, but it's also in, in, in my uh, Twitter circle, it is coming primarily from a whole bunch of heterosexual people. I'll get to that in just a little bit more. So apparently, Harley and Ivy, it doesn't look like it's going to happen. And that bums me out like it does so many other people. I've been waiting years. I was almost certain they would end up together. But apparently, that's not going to be the case. Comics can surprise you. Did I ever imagine Superman or Robin was going to be bisexual? Absolutely not. Not in a million years. But does it matter? These are fictional characters. Fictional characters that do mean so very much to so very many people. Have I been surprised by some story choices? Have I hated story choices? Oh yes, quite a few. <laughs> and that's why Brandon gets a little worried about me sometimes. Yeah, from time uh, to time. <laughs> and the way that I addressed that problem was by not reading those comics anymore. That's why we have a dump list to dump books we don't like. But death threats. Death threats against a story writer? abandonment and boycotts of an entire publisher for not liking the way things worked out in one or two stories? Let me tell you guys something, and this is something, listeners, that I really need you to hear. I saw on Twitter the other day a response to Harley and Ivy not becoming a couple, which, by the way, unless they're referring to advanced issues, 
which they shouldn't be discussing anyway, certainly is not apparent at the end of issue 10. Just like the issue that had everyone thinking was going to build up to their beginning of the relationship, that issue also ended with Harley and Ivy kissing. In any case, this person responded to a post, not from us, but from Tom Taylor about the death threats against Stephanie Phillips. That response said the following, slightly paraphrased without losing its exact message and context. And it was this. Sure, people shouldn't do death threats, but comic book writers that hype up stories and books need to respect and take into consideration what the fans want out of a story and give that to them. That, my friends, is absolutely disgusting. The entitlement, it burns. Write the book yourself, and if you don't have the chops, get practicing. Write fan fiction. (laughs) But here's the thing that I've noticed, and this is the truly horrible part. The very same people who are complaining about Harley and Ivy not resuming their dating relationship are the very same ones that rage against the fact that John Kent and Tim Drake are attracted to men. That's a little hypocritical, don't you think? It kind of reminds me of how there's a lot of fans and creators that hate the fact that comics are becoming more diverse, bringing in people of color, prominence for female characters, the inclusion of bisexual, homosexual, and other members of the LGBTQIA community. This is quite commonly referred to as Comicsgate. It's nothing new. It's been around for quite a while. I've not addressed it in depth before, but goddammit, I'm done. Whoops, I swore and I wasn't intending to. (laughs) It's even largely spearheaded by Evan Vanscriver and like-minded people. You can hate what a creator does, sure. Again, you do have that right. But if you send death threats to a creator, if you rally against the inclusion of every kind of person in the world showing up in comics, you're not a comics fan. You're not even a fan at all. You're a hate-filled person with such low self-esteem that you hate yourself and you take it out on others. That's coming from a four-year degree in psychology. You cannot base your your ideology on this is not how comics should be, or that's not my Superman, or even that goes against my religion. Case number one, not how comics should be. Comics have always been like this. They have always been breaking forward with social issues, racial injustice, drug addiction, and even AIDS. Always, and that was decades ago. Case number two, not your Superman. Boy, are you right. That's not your Superman. Superman is owned by DC Comics, and he is enjoyed by millions of fans around the world. He's all of ours, not just yours. And if you don't like that, then don't buy it. And finally, case number three, against your religion. First and foremost, I suggest that you do a little bit of research I've studied a plethora of religions and philosophies throughout my years on this big old green rock, and there are two things and two things only that every single one of them have in common. One, love everyone. And everyone actually means all people. If you don't believe me, feel free to go onto Google and write definition of everyone. The second, don't judge others. As a matter of fact, I would suggest that if religion is your problem with what's going on in the comic community, I would suggest you take a trip to your local bookstore and get the latest edition of the Christian Bible, which just now has over 20,000 revisions translated by those who are experts in ancient Greek, Hebrew, and Aramaic to give us the truest interpretation of the Bible to date. Really, if that is your reason, trust me, go read your good book, the one 
loaded with rape, incest, murder, and yes, a whole bunch of homosexuality that fuels your hate. My long-winded speech is almost complete, but before I finally relent the podcast to my co-hosts and our guests, I would just like to say one more thing. If you are threatening creators with death or anything else, if you're spewing hate speech just because you like certain decisions, again, you're not a comic fan. You're a bigot. And bigots, this is for you as eloquently as I can put it. If you are rallying against people of color, LGBTQ members, and women to stay out of comics, or at least the main stories, as many of them say, I have a very special request for you. Go find Evan Van Scriver. Read his books. They're horrible, by the way, but go read those. <laughs> and leave these, amazing, leave these amazing characters, creators, and stories to actual comic fans. And finally, just to make everyone that's ever listened to me on this podcast know for sure that I'm the one that wrote this speech, I will close this by saying, Dear racists, sexists, and bigots, Eat shit. End of rant. Well, that was a lot, um, but not <laughs> as, uh, not nearly as, as stress inducing as I thought it would be. So that's good. Um, and then, I'm and sorry. I my, just my I'm, I'm done with the hate, man. Yeah, uh, yeah, but well said. Very well said. Um, uh, well, uh, I don't really know how to transition after uh, something like well, that. Well, I just rolled some thunder. Are y'all um, ready for some lightning? Before we get into that, I, I just need to... I wanted to address it as well. I wanted to join Josh in his address, but I was very excited to hear his speech. Yeah. And fantastic as it was. It's funny because all the thoughts I've been having... I, I was behind on Harley Quinn, and I read it today, so every thought I've had... And keep in mind, after knowing what's been going on with Stephanie Phillips and Tom Taylor and all the other amazing creators out there that support minorities and and diversity in comic books i was physically fucking angry and i'm gonna be swearing a lot right now too i'm sorry brandon uh, Uh-oh. so all uh, the thoughts blood pressure all the things that josh said right now are pretty much all the thoughts i've had throughout today and i just have a few talking points to add to it one Uh-oh. you guys are um, pissed off a canadian this can't yes. be good um, uh, like i apologize on the regular. I'm not fucking apologizing this time. First off, y'all motherfuckers don't remember Friends? I got to the <laughs> end of that issue, and the first thought in my mind was, they're on a break. Mm-hmm. I don't give a shit what your perception is on whether they're broken up or not. To the story so far, kind of makes sense. Harley's it- on a transition towards being a hero. And Ivy's been essentially dead for two years. And she comes and back. Almost and almost destroyed all of Gotham. Yeah. Her girlfriend is now all of a sudden complete 180 on her personality. And she doesn't know how to deal with that. She needs to find herself. And that's what Harley's done. She did not say we're done. She did not say we're over. She said you need to go find yourself and I'll be here when you get back. They're not done. No, that's love. Exactly. If I've ever heard it. Secondly, yeah. comics for years has talked about inclusion and diversity and the benefits therein. So if for even a second you think that you need to just go against that, like Josh said, you're not a comic fan. What the hell have you been reading your whole life? Clearly not comic books. And lastly, 
I was also going to end on on something a little more cursed, but not as eloquent as eat shit. <laughs> uh, sorry about that. <laughs> that's, that's, oh, that's, that's good. And um, I'm, I'm a little nervous about my closing statement, but I, I hope it's acceptable. Just simply put, shut the fuck up, snowflakes. <laughs> ding 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 ding. Uh, okay, wow. And, We're gonna have to bleep a lot of as a bisexual fan in comic books. I am all for this shit, and I went on to say how, how I see myself in John Kent right now. And if anybody has anything to say about that, I take that as a personal attack. Yeah, like like for me, with the Tim Drake news, for example, like I cried, like I literally cried when I saw the news that he, where I read the comic because. It meant a lot to me. I've watched, and some people don't realize this, but these characters, Jonathan Kent, Tim Drake, I can name others who haven't technically come out, but will probably end up someday. They're characters who are, to like, their bisexuality or sexuality is coded into their stories in small, subtle ways where if you pay attention, you can notice. Tim Drake is a great example. Many of the original creators have always thought that he would be a bisexual character. And DC said no. But that didn't stop every right many writers who've written Tim Drake from including subtle moments that would say, hey, if you go back and look at this from a queer angle, this makes more sense than if you try to create like friendships. And like yep, the time and, he changed his costume after Infinite Frontier because, because he was Connor so sad. wore yeah. those colors. <laughs> or even like there's a time where Tim Drake <laughs> and there's a time where Tim Drake and Connor were caught in a closet super close to each other Absolutely and talked about how they hit something. But it was like, hmm, I wonder what was happening there. You know, it's like like these things are normal. And these are and these stories are this is about the diversity. This is what people have wanted for a long time. And if you don't like it, then stop reading comics. Stop like just read you have 70, 80 years of stories um, to read, you know? And if you don't like the idea that a character might like men and women, then like you've got to, then you need to figure yourself out. And go go back to the days of the CCA. And yeah. for the record, if you go, oh, comics, I don't want my comics to be political. Then read Action Comics number three, which focuses on Superman busting up a sex trafficking ring. You know what issues we still have today? Sex trafficking. So Superman mm-hmm. has always been a political character. Batman has always. always had politics involved. And to say that this history of comics is no, never isn't political or that diversity is even political. Diversity should never be, isn't necessarily about politics. But if you are all frustrated about all of this stuff, then you need to go think about yourself and, and figure out what you value. And if you don't support every person and everybody's beliefs, then you are then you are need to look at yourself really carefully because as far as i see this was one of my this is maybe my favorite year of dc comics i've ever read because they've actively made all sorts of significant changes to increase and expand diversity while still creating awesome stories and for all the criticisms of marvel's all new all different era which replaced characters dc didn't do any replacing here they just expanded who got to have major stories jonathan kent isn't fully replacing clark Clark has his own story. You could say uh, Nubia isn't replacing Diana, you know, and uh, Tim and Tim, uh, not Tim Drake, uh, the black Superman or the black Batman right now. Um, Jace Fox. Oh, come on. Jace, Jace Fox. Fox. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. Jace Fox. He's not replacing Batman. He's going to New York City. But these characters are still getting important stories and diversity is becoming an increasingly important part of this line. And for that, I am so happy 
about everything going on. Now, we may have critiques about the way diversity is done, the way diversity is exists or the lack thereof in certain areas or way things are can be written, but that doesn't mean that the diversity itself is the problem, right? Uh, agreed. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I personally don't have uh, much to add that has, has not already been said, uh, and I'll try to avoid any uh, swearing language Really, all I had to say was um, that uh, once Jonathan Hickman left Twitter last year, I realized that it was a place that I could no longer be uh, because if I couldn't get my film stills and that sort of thing and that the place had become so unbearably horrible and toxic that it wasn't even worth being there anymore, uh, I, I'd rather not stay. Um, my advice for any listeners, I suppose, uh, and I don't want to get on my soapbox or anything, but... Um, really, again, not to be a reiteration of what people have already said, but if these things are bothering you that much, no one's forcing you to buy these books. They're not putting a gun to your head and saying, if you don't read Harley Quinn right now, I'm putting two in your bag. Um, right. And there's plenty so, of stories, imprints and creators that yes, are tailoring their shit to them. I, I mm -hmm. believe someone had mentioned on a thread the other day that there is a, a delightful book called the Harley Quinn Eat, Bang, Kill Tour or something like that. that yes, has them sir. In and a, it's pretty damn good. Yeah, has them in a relationship. So if that's something that you're really jonesing for, you can find it there. It's There's plenty of other options. And again, I uh, maybe as someone who has gotten to, to speak with a lot of, of creators um, and, and certainly has an idea of, of how they view their stories and, and you know are, are not like vindictive towards these characters. They don't hate them most of them anyway um i just i never understood that mentality of of uh i i hate this story so i'm going to send death threats to the person who wrote it why they have nothing to do with it i mean it's like they're just writing the story and that's it it's i, I don't know it, it it never it was never something that i could completely understand um obviously we made jokes in the past uh josh made a joke that sent my blood pressure through the through the <laughs> roof about Tom King, uh, but otherwise, you know, we we generally don't don't do that kind of stuff. So not um, at all. It's it just it, it, I I never understood that that idea, and, uh, and I, I don't know. I I don't really have anything else to add about that other than I don't know. Seek help or something like if if you really feel that passionately to the point where you have to attack someone. You know, personally, especially if they were just getting out of the hospital, I don't know. Clearly, you need to see a therapist or something. Yeah, it's uh, it's thinking uh -huh. like this that, in my opinion, is what caused the downfall of the Arrowverse, and that's strictly because of what happened during the run of Arrow and the fans therein. That's the toxic why behavior they had. Yeah, and that's that's why you know every every creator and their mother is writing newsletters now. They've they've quit the you know larger interactive portions of social media to just you know update people on their weekly newsletters because they don't have to deal with that kinds of crap you know every single day uh, and I, I personally can't blame them for that it's it's nope. a lot better way to interact with your fans and it certainly reduces that kind of anger and and vitriol that you would expect from those kinds of people. Um, I, I wish that we could get something like that from Tom Taylor because after this attack, he deals with his, you know attacks on him. He's he he lets that roll off of his back, but he really takes offense to any other creators that are bashed 
in a ba- in a bad way. And he reacted to Stephanie Phillips' uh, situation pretty uh, pretty strongly. And uh, he is he's pulled almost completely out of Twitter. He'll check his computer once a day and immediately block anyone that even sounds like they're hating. And um, for somebody with such an incredible Twitter presence and such a large Twitter following, to have to resort to that, it's pretty damn sad when, when, when some of the greatest creators of current-day comics are being chased out by a bunch of assholes. But yeah, anyway. <laughs> well, that's it's, it's a terrible place. And it, yeah, it you really wonder why is. I haven't had it in a year. Actually, almost right. two years at this point. Um, we are an hour in. I suggest yes, we take a commercial and, before and the lightning round. That would be a, a good idea. Uh, we have been running for a little while. So um, rather than take the commercial break halfway through our books, we're probably going to end up moving through our books a little bit more quickly. Um, just so that we're not, you know, running for too long. So with that being said, we're going to take a brief commercial break. After these messages, we'll be right back. Now, back to our program. All right, and we're back. Hope that wasn't too horrible. Thank you for sticking with Not a Robot. Um, We are, after about an hour, going to get into some of our books this week, starting with some honorable mentions that we wanted to throw out that we think you should uh, check out before we get into our main reviews. Uh, starting with uh, Dark Knights of Steel, number three, which Rob is going to recap for us. Gladly. So this is from writer Tom Taylor with art by Yasmin Putri, with colors by Erev Prianto and a letter from Wes Abbott. The kingdoms of Storm and Amazonians come together against the kingdom of El, but Princess Diana has other ideas. Meanwhile, a green rock has fallen out of the sky, and when Sir Batman and Alfred go to investigate, it poisons Batman because it's kryptonite. So Alfred begins to tell him everything he knows, and there's a deep, dark history there. Honestly, this is still just a fantastic read. Taylor, I think, has found the fantasy mark perfectly. He's gone on about how this is his favorite (laughs) genre, and I think he's proven that. It's Mm -hmm. such a wonderful read. This is a 9, to quote Brandon back in the day, 9.5 on a good day Ah, out of 10. callback. Yeah, (laughs) it's been a while since we've heard you say that. I know. I'm with you, dude. I think this just keeps getting better and better, and I can see. And I, 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 you, I, these guys know. You never hear me saying anything like this, but I, I see how even after just a couple issues, this title is making people's book of the year, and I think it deserves it. The art is fantastic. The world building is amazing. The changes, mm-hmm. the 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 simultaneous changes yet complete representation of who that real character actually is Batman Jefferson all of them I, I it's done so well I can't help but wonder what a uh, a fear a pure high fantasy book would look like from Tom Taylor but I bet you it would look damn good yeah I feel like if you like Game of Thrones and you want to see like how Game of Thrones and Marvel DC comics would go together this is about as close as you're going to get. I'm going to mean that in the best way possible. The political maneuvering, the personal character driven decisions, um, the, the brutality of like, like no one's safe, you know, in the, in the, everyone's favorite Tom Taylor style. 
Um, and it's been really, really fun. And I'm super excited to see where the series goes. Uh, <laughs> I just had a thought. I did not parallel Game of Thrones to DCOS, but wouldn't it be cool? Because uh, Taylor and Redondo do a lot of cool shit. Uh, little Easter eggs and Nightwing. I think it would be pretty neat if Taylor could have the artist just throw a Starbucks cup in one of those panels. Uh, I'm sure, you could, uh, I'm sure you, could, you could put some fun little Easter eggs in the background. I, uh, I think that would be pretty be cool. Awesome. Um, I don't know if you guys read any other of the books we you know, typically don't cover, but... Um, I think Nathan I was, wanted to mention. Yeah. Uh, I read them all. Lobo so, but I just wanted to shout out. I read them all, uh, but I just wanted to shout out Lobo and Fresh number eight real quick. So it's the last oh, of the yeah. series. Um, mm-hmm. It's written by Mariko Tamaki, artist Amante Nofuelpa, uh, colorist Tamara Bonvillain, and letterer Ariana Mayer. Um, this book has been a little all over the place, um, but I think first and foremost, it's always been a crush book and not a Lobo book. I think Lobo's mm-hmm. the worst part of this book. Um, and Unfortunately. so the basic, the whole arc of the series kind of ended with Lobo and Crush both in jail together and they agree to fight their way out of it. Um, and as they fight, Crush sees a lot of, has a lot of self doubt about herself as she sees herself and her father. Um, and there's a scene where they, they censor the entire panel for like pages on end. They're like, this is too graphic. And you hear the dialogue and you get a sense of what's going on, but it's like, you can't spit. It's like, there's like, this is inappropriate because there's been a lot of fourth wall break. And this is a great example of that. And then when they finally come out of the censoring scene, you see body and guts everywhere. And you're like, oh, shit, that happened. And then she comes out and she's like texting her girlfriend. And then she uh, and then she heads off onto her next adventure. And I like this book. I think I'm going to give the finale a seven. I'm a little disappointed with the way this queer relationship ends. Um, partly be- and like the way Crush's self-doubt about herself isn't solved. And it's not that I want that I want like mental health and issues of self-doubt or queer relationships that need to go perfectly. But it felt like the way this queer relationship was handled at the end felt a little off. Where it's like, she's like, oh, I'm going to do better. And this, like, to her girlfriend, the second she has some job opportunity, she just leaves. And it felt like this character development that comes to her finally culminating and being able to text her girlfriend is then immediately thrown out the window for something else. Um, but overall, I think you should really check out this book. I think it's a great example of where DC's pride in, uh, pride initiatives have really succeeded. Um, there's a lot of really fun storytelling, including a stellar gimmick where this guy runs a coffee shop and uh, Crush just keeps running into him. And he's like, no! It's really fun. <laughs> yeah, I enjoy that too. <laughs> yeah, I, I hadn't really gotten a chance to, to uh, follow this series since... Uh, I think the third issue or so. So, it might be yeah. a fun, um, you know, trade read to kind of go back and, exactly. and maybe reassess and and see if there was some <clears throat> something <clears throat> in that run that that uh, that might interest me. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, I don't I don't have any other other uh, honorable mentions. So with that, we can get into our main reviews for this week, uh, starting what? out. With let me tech- let me mention oh. one star squadron real oh, quick. Shit. Oh shit! Yeah. I totally <laughs> forgot that was coming out this week. It's a little existential and it's really <laughs> depressing for Red Tornado and Minuteman, but it still <laughs> manages to be fun a, a fun and involved story. Buy that book. It's 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 good. It's, it's what it's, it's not necessarily <laughs> needed, but it's it's cheesy goodness with a decent story. So go check that out. 
Man, I am just off my game like these past two weeks. Honestly, I think it's my shop. I missed Flash. I missed One Star Squadron too. Yeah, One Star Squadron is really good. Yeah, um, I read the like I said, I read the first one and I I loved it. It was you know my pick my pick of the week. It was you know really fun and enjoyable. And Mark Russell and Steve Lieber, a match made in heaven. And you know Flash had been a really fun book, especially with Seven Seventy Six and everything. That you know fun kind of choose your own adventure style type of thing. But I just I literally just forgot that these books were even coming out and and. And was not made aware by my by my guy who's supposed to be keeping track of those things. So I'm uh, I'm, I'm a little heated. I'm gonna have to have some words. Yeah. For the record, One Star Squadron is what export should have been. Amen. <laughs> and I, I mentioned before earlier Justice League Infinity. I wanted to give that an honorable mention as well. Speaking of existential crises, this is chock full of them from the least likely suspect you think but also when you read the story it kind of makes sense and if you're a fan of the justice league cartoon you're gonna love the story it it's a little more grown up than the stories you might be used to but it still keeps that same heart and it's a lot of fun and the last issue issue seven features a beautiful cover from riley rosmo yeah. i'm sure everybody yeah. will appreciate yeah <laughs> yeah Gotta love those peg legs, man. Right, right. All right, well. There's quite a few. <laughs> yeah. All right, well, let's uh, let's get into our main reviews for this week, starting with Detective Comics 1047, the start of a big new weekly event, Shadows of the Bat. Uh, so I'm going to hand it over to Josh, who's going to give us the information on the main story as well as the backup story. Yes, sir. First up is, of course, the main story in Detective 1047. Written by Mariko Tamaki with the incomparable Ivan Reyes on pencils, Danny Miki on, sorry, I can't talk, Danny Minky on inks, Brad Anderson doing the colors and lettering from Ariana Mar. And with before a cover you get, from, yeah, before you, oh, sorry, go ahead. Oh, it's got a cover by Irvin Rodriguez that's so gorgeous it makes my wife jealous. Oh my god, but yeah, before you get into the book, I just I have to give a, a double shout out to Brad Anderson for this week. Um, the colors in this book were just absolutely gorgeous to look at. I mean, usually it delivers pretty well, but the, the palette, I think, just worked so well um, for Detective this week that I was, I was really just blown away. So I, ha- yeah, I had to no. give that shout-out. Phenomenal. That's the only way to be able to describe the art in this book. It, it does look as though DC Comics has finally listened to everything that we have been begging for on this podcast for Detective Comics. No really sign <laughs> of Batman. <laughs> no sign of Batman. We've got actual investigative people in Detective Comics. And that, as a, even as a Batman fan, makes me incredibly happy. But anyway, about the comic. Arkham Tower is up and running, and within, I think it was seven days, Dr. Ware has apparently cured Nero 19 to the point that he's an upstanding member of the community. And that's just after two weeks um, uh, uh, when, when he tried to murder Mayor Nakano. I, it's Donna, implied it's about a month because they got to build a tower, but yeah. Oh, yeah. All right, so Dub Donovan and Batwoman, who I think make an excellent team with Oracle and the Batgirls, they do not trust Dr. Ware, and uh, Donovan can't find his medical license or anything to do with the so-called miracle pills that he is using to treat the patients. 24 days in and the tower has gone to hell there's there's fire there's hostages 
The inmates are in control, but not way out on the outskirts of town anymore, smack dab in the middle of it. The inmates have some demands, and they say that they must be met within one minute, to which the GCD, GCPD says is impossible. And that's when they toss Dr. Ware out of the top story window. So someone else needs to get in charge. There is radio difficulty for Oracle trying to contact the team members, but eventually she gets everyone. Everyone but Huntress. At the end of the story, a woman, I believe, is standing on the roof of an elevator bleeding out with medium-length hair and kind of different hair color. I don't think that this is Bluebird, but it doesn't really look like Huntress either. Do you guys have any thoughts on who that might be? I thought it was Huntress. It just looks like weird lighting, but I I thought this was the woman, because there's a picture where there's this woman who's messing with the coloring book who's like a little deranged ah, and uh, he creates the, the opening pictures are like almost like a storybook. And it's like shown later in the story that she was the one who was drawing it. And it seemed like she was the one who killed a bunch of people and was kind of limping in the back. That was my, that was my interpretation, but mm-hmm. I could be wrong. Fair enough. I will have Thanks, to see next Cause week. it was, it was bugging the hell out of me, man. But yeah. that does make sense. Um, I thought that this was a really good, though predictable, setup story for the remainder of The Shadow of the Bat, and I, for one, am looking forward to a whole lot more uh, for something that's going to be coming out weekly. I tend to be a little worried about that because it doesn't feel like there's a whole bunch um, of forethought going in there. But this, I mean, like we said before, the art is phenomenal. That team makes that go without saying. The story sounds solid, and I am pretty damn excited for a weekly book like this to come out, regardless of the price tag. Um, for the first story, I gave a 9 out of 10. It's a 10 out of 10 for me. Um, I think part of why is because there's a lot of really intelligent plotting and stuff, and there's a lot of, like, it's like everything's kind of creepy and kind of nerve-wracking, and then everything goes wrong. But it's like, we don't know what goes wrong, and in a sense, like, we're thrown off, and the story's constantly shifting perspectives in a way that really portrayed the chaos of what was going on. And I came out of the whole issue going, oh my goodness, we are in for a ride. And I am really excited. I think Mariko Tamaki is one of those writers who's always been really good, but has never gotten the time to shine. And I really think that this is going to be her big moment to shine in terms of like ongoing superhero comics. Because she's already shined. She's won an Eisner. Like she's already made it. But like, getting to shine on an important superhero comic is something I'm really looking forward to her getting to do. Yep. And now, I, Tamaki is a, a, a really good writer. I have enjoyed everything she's done with Batman thus far. Future State and currently as well. I couldn't stand her damn Wonder Woman. <laughs> but Yeah, that but, was a bit of a mess. Uh, but what, I also what, what we're seeing here... Yeah. What we're seeing here is... It's beyond redemption. It's it's her going back to Eisner Award winning. Mm-hmm. And as far as anybody within at least the past year that's even so much has come close to touch. You know what? Two years. Within the last two years, there's nobody that has written a Batman book as good as Mariko Tamaki. At the very least, two years. It Tynan, was... Tynan oh, sorry, disappointed me. Tom King disappointed me. All Everybody disappointed me. <laughs> Yeah, it, it was... Um, oh, sorry, did you give your uh, your rating? Oh, yeah, I, I said 9 out of 10. Yeah, 
it was uh, just to be upfront. So I did give this one an eight point five, um, but it, it was. Um, I think the first time I read it, it was it was kind of a mess um, because you know it, it it starts in a a very straightforward way um, where you're like, yeah, we we've set up everything with the Arkham Tower, and I understand that, and we're obviously continuing that, and and you know the the stuff with. Dr. Weir, and I think it'll be interesting to see how they expand on that, but it, it did come across as slightly predictable, like, uh, doesn't disclose the information, comes across as slightly untrustworthy, naturally a journalist would be suspicious, and just all these things that felt like they were set up to, to, to basically be, oh yes, we're going to uncover that later in a very, what I thought to be obvious way. Um, however, I, I can't I agree thought, more. I That's... Thought, yeah, oh sorry, go ahead. No, I was just saying I can't agree more with you. It, it, it does. It's it's an exceptionally predictable setup issue. Yeah. But I think that as far as setup issues go, this was one hell of a setup issue. The fact that it is a setup issue is why this didn't get a much higher score from me because I feel art and story together, it was spectacular. But it's a setup issue, just like I dropped down shit for backup issues. Yeah, I think I think for me, what what raised the score and what definitely raised my interest was not just the cutaway to day twenty four of you know Arkham Tower seemingly under siege and chaos, um, and just out of control. Um, it was just kind of getting our first look at, at how the Bat family is coordinating this whole thing. Um, and what I really liked was that you know it's it's not they're they're not one um cohesive unit at least not right now it's it's you know people in different places mm-hmm. it's nightwing and the tower and we don't know exactly where steph is and um cass and kate are trying to figure out like what do we do next how do we cooperate oracle is just trying to hold the ship together um mm-hmm. and that i think for me was was where i saw the okay now this is kind of a more interesting way of telling what is you know, right now, not the most original story. Because certainly we've seen Gotham and Siege before. Certainly we've seen the Bat family trying to coordinate it. But I think, again, for me, it's just they're all in different places. How the hell did we get here? Well, we're going to kind of have to piece that together. And that, for me, was what really um, really sort of drew in my interest and, and kind of had me excited for what comes next. That, yeah. as well as the, the stunning artwork from Yvonne Rice, who knocks it out of the park. As usual, but again, especially with compliments to Brad Anderson, whose colors are just absolutely amazing. And the, the book is doing this again without Batman being the one that pulls the team together. It's yes, yeah. The team actually being a team without Batman, figuring out where to go, what to do, and moving forward. And they make a hell of a team. Don't yeah, know where and, Spoiler's and, at, don't yeah. know where Huntress is, but I can guarantee you they're just as good. Yeah, and, and my hope is, you know, we kind of get to see more of that, you know, dynamic um, soon of, you know, Oracle trying to, to hold everything together, obviously, now that Bruce is in here, and everyone just trying to figure out, like, well, okay, what the hell do we do next? But, but working towards how we got to the point of them being like, well, what the hell do we do next? So I think, I think there's, there's a lot of interesting elements that, that really um, worked for me, despite the more predictable setup. So 8.5 for me. Real quick, do you guys do solicit spoilers, or do you guys keep those? Do you guys just based on that stuff? 
Um, uh, well, we do not. I don't. These guys read spoilers. Yeah, solicits, some, sometimes right? we talk I just about when the solicits say, come out. Okay, all but. I was going to say was, uh, according to solicits, Huntress is a significant role. Like, she's probably one of the main characters of this. So we'll definitely see Huntress? her. Yeah. 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 Okay. We'll see a Fantastic. lot more of her. That's, yeah, that's exciting. Um, you know, Mariko It feels Tamaki like they've done, been building her up. Oh, yeah, definitely. And, and you know, Mariko Tamaki done the Secret Files issue with David Latham that I really enjoyed. So, you know, any, any more... Uh, roles that she can take with Huntress, I think, will be pretty, pretty stellar. Um, Rob, how about how about you? How did you feel? Unless we want to move into House of Gotham next. Oh, I think Rob needs to give a score and whatnot. Yeah. Okay. Um, so yeah, amazing opening chapter. Honestly, I, eleven parts to go, and I'm already hooked. I can't <laughs> right? wait to see what the hell happened here. But I am a person that does read the solicits, not regularly, but every so often I'll go and check them out. And I read the solicits for most of the chapters going forward. So before this came out, I kind of had not a basic idea of what the story is going to be like based on the solicits, an idea of like where each chapter is going, and it didn't thrill me. But then I read this, and I'm more interested. I'm very excited to see where this is going. And the solicits that I did read have piqued my curiosity. So I've given this an 8.75. Not excited enough to give it anything higher than a 9, but definitely i don't think deserves anything lower than at least brandon's 8.5 mm. like i said amazing opening chapter i can't wait to see where this is gonna go and the art is fantastic i'm still ogling that cover That's yeah great. no kidding man it's so gorgeous <laughs> I, i'm 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 dead ass serious about my wife she 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 <laughs> doesn't she loves art but comic book art is comic book art to her she agrees with me about Rosmo uh, but um, like her mouth hung open and she didn't have anything to say when I showed her the cover of that book I'm holding it up and showing her I was like look at this and she's like oh. Oh, that's pretty you should show her literally anything by Assad Rimmick whose art oh. can hang on a wall it is like I think that's him and Frazetta and a couple others. I think are the only ones where I'm just like, this is you know shit you could put in a museum. It's, Ivan it's Reyes, beautiful. yeah, yeah, or hey Yemenes. Yeah, Those really, really guys. great concept. <laughs> um, but anyway, uh, back to Gotham City. Uh, back to Gotham in the house of Gotham. Or Side is it note, that? Which... Wait, actually, and, and this was again just a brief point I wanted to mention. Is it House of Gotham or is it House of Wayne? Because the cover was, of this issue says, "Yeah, it I was, was like originally solicited as House of Wayne, <laughs> but the like, title oh. in the book says House House of Gotham." Oh, dude, yeah. I thought it was always House of Gotham, so I don't know. Has it been called House of Wayne? The cover yeah. says, oh, the cover House, says of House of Wayne. Yeah, and, oh, and okay. like, the story the House of Gotham makes a little bit more sense. Because yeah. the yeah. solicits say House of Gotham. The solicits have always said House of Gotham. I didn't even mm. notice the. the so weird. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Must have been but, an oversight yeah. mistake. Yeah. Well, the funny thing is, I looked at next week's issue, and I think it still says House of Wayne. Uh, that's <laughs> embarrassing. It does. That happens. But um, to that special little house in Gotham. In the although house of Gotham. the third issue of the series has House of Gotham on the back. Yeah, so oh. cl- clearly someone was like, oh, shit, it's too late. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, we'll file that under editorial. Yeah. All right. Written by Matthew Rosenberg with Fernando Blanco on art, Jordi Belair on colors with Rob Lee giving us the lettering. 
This is a really quick backup that's taking place years ago, and I cannot tell where it's going at all. The story is, this guy comes home in a panic to his family, saying that they have to run, and run now. It's too late, though, because the problem is, is that the Joker is after him, and he is already there. The little boy that's present hides in the closet with his dad's gun. The Joker sees some toys and knows that a kid's there after he murders the boy's parents, but Batman shows up and Joker is scared off right before he smashes through the window. The boy's parents are dead, and James Gordon can't find anywhere to take him, so they take a little boy to, of all places, Arkham Asylum. Do we know of a kid that was raised in Arkham? I... There's lots of kids who've been raised in Arkham, one of them being the Arkham Knight, um, but that's not who this is. This is Master Arkham. Yeah. Uh, yeah. My understanding, and I only have this guess because I saw it, that's what AAPT said, is that this is okay. Nero 19. Really? Yeah. That I suppose that's what AAPT said, so I don't know if it's true. I haven't actually, I didn't actually look hard enough to look through like the name and stuff to see if it matched, but apparently this is Nero 19. We don't get so. the last names for the parents in this, at least not that I remember. It was just we get Albrecht, names. I think. Yeah. Is it Albrecht? Because I thought I Nero I'm nineteen was Roy Dowd. It's unclear. Uh, yeah. That's what AIPT said, so I don't. So I'm just going to trust them yeah. on that. Fair enough. Sounds like a good idea. <laughs> As far as the book goes, man, the art looks good and the setup definitely has me interested, but as is the usual, it is a backup, so we'll have to wait a few issues before I can say whether or not it's really good or not. As of now, art and setup considered for a backup, I do rate this pretty high. I give it an 8 out of 10. This was, I think, a very sharp and, and solid um, kind of like horror setup for a you know a smaller scale story of a kid in gotham whose parents are murdered where have we seen that before um but <laughs> um i i think again in terms of execution i read this twice because the first time i read it I, I i really dug it and the second time i think it was a little more um not iffy about it but i just i wasn't 100 percent sold on it and i wasn't sure why and i think I think I just I I might need a little bit more context as to where this is going. And obviously, it's a backup, and there's only so much you can do with a, a setup in a backup. But I think I just need a little, like you said, need a little bit more context and a little bit more story before I can make any kind of final decision. So I think I I ended up giving this one. I wasn't really sure where to put it honestly, so it kind of rested between a seven point five and an eight for me. Um, where it falls, so 7.75. I don't know. Yeah, something like that. <laughs> something like that. Um, where, you know, it was it was solid, like I said. It was, it was sharp. It was, you know, pretty well executed. But just uh, not, not you know, a super, um, uh, you know, super uh, immersive hook yet. So, but really great art from Fernando Blanco. Um, just, just excellent stuff. Yeah, yes, the, the art is fantastic. I'm just looking now at that panel where Batman comes crashing into the window and the glass mm. flying around. It's just beautiful to look at. Yeah. Oh, no, never mind. That's snow. Yeah. That is snow. Well, <laughs> it still looks like glass. Yeah, it still looks cool, though. <laughs> um, personally, it's a five for me. It's five or six for me. I can't decide. Um, I'm just not invested in the story at all. Um, I think these kinds of, like, when it when it feels like this would be on an anthology collection... 
it just really doesn't hook like there's like the hook's not there i like if you said why should i keep reading another issue there's no reason um and this the characters aren't super compelling and the idea of like the boy being like oh the batman killed my parents really isn't all that compelling to me um and the joker's really kind of boring so i don't know i'm just kind of neutral like how many children have we had who've been scarred by the joker and i mean that somewhat seriously like with clown oh, hunter already this year yeah, we had you know so it's like okay another one make it more interesting like what would happen if a child grew up angry at the riddler no, yeah. I think it'd be much oh. Which is why I, I think I think the idea of putting him in Arkham is kind of where where my, my interest lies. Like, no, I, well, I, I don't know because it's Gotham and it's screwed up. Um, but uh-huh. because like, it's such a books. it's such a weird plot. Hole. It just doesn't make sense to me. So yeah. that's why I'm giving it well, a five. It's the story yeah. that cohesively makes sense. I, I think I, I think again. I think that premise for me at least is is interesting. I just I would need more context as to like okay, what are we gonna do with that? Um, if you were to have a kid in in Arkham or something like that. Uh, anyway, um, right. as and, far as the whole book goes, man, yeah. it's done really well. The art throughout is amazing. Both premises to me sound really interesting. I look forward to more. So I gave Detective an eight point seven five as a whole. Nice. Yeah, Rob, how about you? Whole. Uh, I think for a whole, I'll give it an 8.5. The, the backup, I'll give it an 8. It, it's curious enough that I'll see where it goes, but I am cautious about where it can go mm-hmm. because there has been there have been some interesting points made about the story, and it, it's a little iffy so far. But I'll I'll give it the benefit of the doubt for now. Mm. Yeah, no. As a whole, this one got an uh, an 8 out of 10 for me. So I think again, some some interesting setups both in the uh, first story and the backup story, um, but I think ooh, I'm probably more invested in the in the main story. Though I still kind of want to see more as to how that's going to develop. Yeah, as a whole, I think I'm going to keep it at a ten. I personally don't judge the backup stories when deciding how to rate the main books, just because I think that the main books is what people buy them for, and the back stories just kind of exist. Um, but hey, don't I? Do it okay, wrong. other than Justice League Dark. <laughs> Other than there Justice League Dark and arguably the Huntress backstory. I mean, you guys had a whole thing about this last week. Like, none of the stories have really mattered in any nope. way. It's been interesting. Like, the Midnighter one went nowhere. Like, I don't... Like, so for me personally, I'm just going to give it a... I'm just going to keep it on my 10. There you go. All right. Well, I guess we've gotten crazy and weird in Gotham. Do we want to get crazy and weird way the hell out in nowhere? We certainly can. We certainly can in our next issue, which is, of course, Justice League Incarnate, number three. Uh, This is brought to us by our usual creative team, Joshua Williamson and Dennis Culver, doing the writing with art from Ariel Olivetti, uh, Nick Varela, Todd Nock, and Mikhail Hanin. Oh, and Andre Bresson, of course, uh, with colors uh, from Hi-Fi and letters from Tom Napolitano. Uh, our heroes are in various different places, as we had established in the last issue, uh, with Captain Carrot finding himself on Earth-41 with the Nimrod Squad, who is definitely not Youngblood, um, and Spore is definitely not Spawn, uh, and these are definitely not the image characters that you know from the 90s. No, 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 they're different. Uh, while in the House of Heroes, the crashed House of Heroes, uh, Dino Cop, as well as... <clears throat> 
Mary Marvel and Thunderer are um, trying to regroup after uh, crashing and, and destroying uh, the House of Heroes in a, a last-ditch effort to uh, take out some of the Apocalyptans on Earth-31. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, Avery Ho, Flash, is uh, dealing with some pirates. Uh, and on an Earth that is unspecified, I believe, um, but uh, is, you know, almost certainly uh, meant to be our real worlds, and I think maybe the Superboy Prime world. That's the only world I can remember that kind of was yeah, near the real world. world. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah, Earth-33. Um, <clears throat> um, uh, President Superman and uh, Dr. Moldyverse are trying to figure out a way to, to send out communications with the rest of Justice League Incarnate. And finally, on Earth-26, uh, Dr. Batman, or excuse me, Flashpoint Batman, um, <laughs> is, has teamed up with the Zoo Crew. You um, shush, it is Dr. Batman from now yeah, on. Yeah, yeah, wow, I'm what kicking Batman. Joke. Yeah, I know. <laughs> um, Dr. Batman has teamed up with the Zoo Crew and is also trying uh, to find his way back um, to the rest of the Justice League incarnate. Uh, but the majority of the issue really just, uh, I would say, um, after kind of zipping in between the various members of Justice League Incarnate, kind of centers on the main story of uh, Dr. Multiverse and President Superman as they try to write a comic for DC Comics um, after randomly meeting an editor at a comic store, which is so far-fetched and unbelievable, I had to laugh. Um, right. that, would, that would never happen. Um, but I guess in this universe you have to kind of uh, suspend your disbelief a little bit. But in any case, they do manage to um, finish their comic book and have a meeting with that editor uh, in question, a man by the name of Ulbrich Saxman, I think he's called, um, who, <clears throat> while they're in the middle of giving their story and, and everything else, he gives the very unproductive notes that Darkseid needs to win in their story, to which... Dr. Multiverse has an incredibly angry reaction towards that. Um, but before As they can one get, would do. Of course. Yeah. Uh, but before they can get any further, um, Avery Ho and uh, Dr. Batman are able to penetrate the, what they call, fictive membrane that exists surrounding Earth-33 to give a brief communication um, about some of the stuff going on with the multiverse and the, um, the other members of Justice League Incarnate, uh, as well as and I thought this was clever, but certainly had been seen before in Multiversity, using comics as a, a form of communication in between worlds. Um, mm -hmm. and in, in particular, she cites a, a issue of the Nimrod Squad, which is a, a fun little reference to Youngblood number two, if anyone caught that. Um, mm -hmm. In any case, um, after this communication from Avery and Dr. Batman comes in, Ulbrich reveals himself to be none other than Darkseid. Definitely didn't see that coming um, before we No, flash. I did not either. That surprised yeah, the hell I out actually, of me. actually didn't. Um, before flashing back to Earth-41 with the rest of the Nimrod squad, who are currently fighting a character who is definitely not the Violator from Spawn. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, they just went all out with the image comparisons. I just It was kind of crazy. But anyway, uh, Darkseid and the rest of the Justice League and Karmic come crashing in uh, as Darkseid is trying to uh, lay claim to the multiversal crack that the definitely not Violator is trying to grab for himself. Um, before, <clears throat> uh, I believe, Dr. Multiverse comes to the conclusion that, uh, in this case, 
they need to just kind of let Darkseid win after, um, you know, taking possession of the multiversal crack and shutting it off, seemingly leaving Barry Allen, who they had been kind of on a quest to save, stranded on the other side um, without any kind of, you know, hope for a rescue. Uh, but as or we a cut phone. Back, or a phone or anything else. Uh, but as, <laughs> as we sort of resolve that and, and deal with uh, the potential consequences that might be coming with letting Darkseid win... Um, we go back to uh, Dino Cop and uh, the rest of the other members of the Justice League Incarnate on Earth-7 um, as they are kind of contemplating what to do next and, and where um, you know they, they might want to do their stuff um, before they find Orion and Aquawoman who inform them that there is something active uh, in the background, something that uh, Rob, as well as others who've read the Multiversity, might recognize, known as the Oblivion Machine, as well as the Gentry, who apparently are still active on this world. And that's when we get our very dramatic final page reveal that uh, the Great Darkness is coming, and that it is none other than the Empty Hand who is orchestrating the events currently on Earth-7. Uh, so yeah, Didn't as see you that tell, coming either. Yeah, as you can tell by that um, summary... This book has a lot, and it's a lot going on, and it's, it's certainly a lot to keep track of, um, especially if you're just trying to make sense of, of what the hell is going on with the Justice League Incarnate. Um, so I, I can understand why some might have problems with, I guess, just the story so far in that it feels like it's juggling a lot, and it, it may be a little bit messy. I can understand that. Um, personally, for me, I... I could make sense of it and it didn't feel you know too um too crazy or or just you know like unintelligible that i didn't even know what was going on i, I could figure it out pretty well but i i do acknowledge that especially in this issue i could feel like there was just there was a lot going on and especially splitting up the justice league incarnate to different parts of the multiverse just made it feel even more fractured at points um <laughs> but that being said i i did enjoy the issue and i did enjoy um a lot of the art in, in most of the places, though there were some that uh, felt a little bit off for me. Um, I think my only complaint really was just, um, again, with, with just how, how much a lot was going on. Again, even I could feel the weight of it in this issue, um, as well as, and I, I know they had teased it in Infinite Frontier, um, but I just, I don't know, like... I know, I know Rob and I have talked about like this kind of being a, a sequel to Multiversity, um, and, and in some ways it is. I think I just liked seeing Justice League um, Incarnate and, and this team and, and other stuff, but I, I just, I, I don't know, I, I, I kind of didn't really want to see the empty hand in anything that wasn't called Multiversity 2, because I just, I, I know for a fact, or at least I, I'm guessing for a fact that um, <laughs> most people... If, if not all people just don't really understand what the empty hand is supposed to be. Um, to be honest, I don't even know that I have a full understanding of what the empty hand is supposed to be and what it represents. I think you'd have to have a conversation with Grant Morrison about that. Well, um, I'll just but... say this. The empty hand, I had to do a bunch of research on this because I write about mm. stuff, right? Um, the empty hand destroyed the original multiverse, the sort of the mm. sentiment, right? right. And uh, called Multiverse 2, right? And, uh, and now Flash is on death there. Right. Yeah. Uh, that's as much as I know. Yeah, but uh, yeah, I, I, I guess I was talking more in like a, a 
a meta sense because you know there's always those layers of, of what the the empty hand was meant to represent and i've seen a ton of theories i think the most popular one is it's supposed to kind of like final crisis with the monitors the empty hand was supposed to represent editorial and the endless cycle of death and rebirth that um you know these uh um these characters you know, organization and characters just kind of go through um again to be honest i don't know that i have a full idea but i was just like i don't i don't know if, i don't know if these guys are the right guys for a story like The Empty Hand, especially with one that already has a lot of plot threads. Um, so this issue did get an 8 out of 10 for me. It was solid. I enjoyed it. But I think going into the next ones, I'm just a little bit worried about some of the stuff that they're bringing in um, and, and just how you know um, bloated it might be getting with all these different plot threads. In addition to trying to do kind of a sequel to uh, to Multiversity, which feels like that should be its own thing. Um, yeah, those are my it, it, that's a lot to live up to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I got really excited seeing that last page for exactly the same reason you said. It, it's straight out of Multiversity, but like you also said, it's going to detract potentially from what the book is about there's only five issues mm-hmm. and so far it's been about dark side and uh, lightning bolt tear in the multiverse and finding barry allen and now you're throwing in a whole other story that's grant morrison related so that's a lot of story in itself to deal with so where the hell are we going to go mm-hmm. it's 30 pages a book instead of the regular 22 but can you really fit that much in it yeah. More issues to go. I mean, in its defense, it's had the exact same plot for the last three issues in a row. Of yeah. where is the Terra in the multiverse? Go to the Terra of mul- the multiverse. Send the Terra of the multiverse to somewhere else. I mean, that's been the plot of the last three issues in some variation. So, mm. I mean, in that sense, if it's not going anywhere right now, it still has plenty of room to go. Um, I don't know. I don't think there's too much. Like, I don't. I, don't, I think they can wrap this up without too much worry. The bigger problem I have is that normally has been a little repetitive, but it's been messy. And when I mean, like, messy, I mean, like, if I ask you to explain the plot, if you really struggle with it, then there's a lot of problems there. Um, it's, like, it's one of my problems with Morrison. It's why I can't get invested into Morrison is because <gasps> I need to understand enough of what's going on. Oh, no, Josh, don't worry. We already we already have this one, and I'm, I have the exact same reaction. But it's all good. It's all good. Um... And I do actually like Superman the Authority, though. I just don't normally like Morrison. Um, and I think the empty hand with all this. Like, I think there's just so many pieces that it's just not clicking. And I think if Joshua Williamson had said, okay, I want to tell a multiversity story. And I want to implement the crack in the multiverse. That would have been one thing. Or I want it to be a race between Darkseid and the Justice League Incarnate. But what instead it is it's this incredibly dense uh, story that kind of goes everywhere. Um, and so I've just really struggled with it. It's a seven for me. I, I gotta know one thing based on your Morrison idea. Uh, Where do you land on Morrison's Green Lantern? I am negative. I'm really negative on it. Oh, let me let me phrase it. I can't get uh, through it. I can't get through it. I've sat through. I was like, oh, everyone says, oh, just binge it. So I sat down and I tried to read through it. And I read through one. Was like, okay, I actually kind of like this. I read through two. I was like, okay, I'm really struggling. And then by three, I was like, okay, I'm just so. I'm just. It's there's so much I have to keep track of. And it's just Season like I'm one not was the easy one, but uh, we're not going to rehash this again. No, like like I was just like <laughs> like after like reading three issues, it was just like I'm not invested in the story. There's so much uh-huh. going on. 
I, I think Morrison's very self-referential and he's all about the weird ideas, but sometimes I feel like the weird ideas are, are prioritized over the actual story itself. Um, and look, if you like Morrison, good for you. I genuinely really enjoy Superman and the Authority, which is his last book at DC currently. We'll see if he comes back for another last book. Um, and so I, it's not that Morrison can't tell a good story. <laughs> it's just I normally don't click with him. Also, Doom wow. Patrol TV show is awesome. Just not the comic. Oh, God. <laughs> like I said, I, I, we, we've hashed it out before in, uh, in school, and I wholeheartedly disagree with it. But uh, that's, uh, that's the beauty of, uh, of, of comic fans. Everyone's got their own opinions. Yep. Just mine is right. <laughs> now that is a comic fan. Um, as far as Justice League Incarnate goes, everybody knows that I pretty much hated issue numbers one and two. Before I go on to my opinion on number three, I just want to point out how uh, Brandon kept on saying this is definitely not Spawn. Uh, this is not the only book that this week that has characters that are most definitely not from other publishers. But as, as far as this issue goes, uh, it, I, I think compared to the previous two issues, this one had more focus. I think the art was less busy, good even. And I finally got a bit interested. Now, while I still won't be this arc's biggest fan, I am curious to see what happens now, whether or not Barry will come back. And above all else, please, in the very next issue, kill off anyone in the Omniverse with the last name of Who Laughs. That would be nice. <laughs> Seven out of ten. Yeah. I, I gave an eight out of ten and I wrote exactly one note, five <laughs> words. Give me more Zoo Crew. <laughs> True. Do it, you cowards! Re-release the old issues. Get a new series. I don't fucking care. Cartoon. Rob, Rob wants a Captain Carrot uh, TV show. I'll eat a Captain no, Carrot. No, no, no. What? No. It's terrible. I love Captain Carrot so much. I, yeah, I might okay, appreciate you, but I do not want a Captain Carrot TV show. Yeah. At <laughs> least a featurette. Like one it'd of those old DC sure, showcase deals. If you want a five-minute short, okay, go ahead. It'd, it'd be perfect for a kid's cartoon, but it could also be awesome as like an adult, not full of swearing, Harley Quinn-esque cartoon as well. I will say that. I mean, I'd I, rather I see have it very much like that grew up with it, and now you're watching Captain Carrot as an adult. You're like, these are the characters <laughs> I grew up with and I love, i.e. me. But like 90s X-Men cartoons. Also, yeah, yeah, like, yeah, like Harvey Birdman, Attorney at Law. Oh, love it! Oh, I will hey, say, uh, I'd rather side, have Zucru. Side note: If you haven't, if you haven't seen it yet, you you said Harvey Birdman, Attorney at Law. If you haven't <laughs> watched it, go check out Bird Girl. Oh God, I still gotta watch that. Oh God, it's that being freaking said, amazing. <laughs> I'd rather have Zoo Crew than Bat Wheels, which they're making. So oh, I Jesus. guess. Yeah, yeah, have you guys so seen the concept art for that? Why? No, yeah. no, what? but I, I assume it's for children. Doing? So no, it is. It's an HBO Max exclusive. It's yeah, Bat so, so it, I'd rather it, have finally there's Zoo a crew. DC show that I'm yeah. happy is HBO Max exclusive. No, if it if it lands <laughs> for children, then I, I think that's really the only thing that, that matters, especially if it is a kids show. Um, like I I remember when they were you know they announced the DC superhero girls and everyone lost their shit because it was 
you know, silly. And I was like, ah, it's for kids. Like just, my my know, my boys love every single thing to do with DC Supergirls or whatever it's called. <laughs> I forget, but yeah, um, like, <laughs> th- that that whole thing. They've got every single movie. They've watched every single show. My oldest could probably quote some for you. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm just like if if kids like it, hey, power to them. I I have plenty of other things I can watch that that this will not affect me in the slightest. Right, there doesn't need to be a bunch of mid twenty to mid fifty <laughs> people going. What are you doing with these characters? That's but you you will definitely you, find dude. those. Yeah, you will definitely yeah. find any number oh, of yeah. those. Um, Anyway, uh, let's get into our next book, which is Batman 119. Once again, featuring a main story as well as a backup story. Rob will summarize both of those for us. Um, so yeah, go ahead, man. All right, so this is from, again, writer Joshua Williamson with art by Jorge Molina and Adriano Di Benedetto and Mikel Yanin with colors from Tomomori and letters from Clayton Cowles. Mm. Batman is up against Lex Luthor in a moment that's reminiscent of Daredevil standing up to Wilson Fisk, mostly talking the color scheme of Lex's suit. Uh-huh. Luthor has taken over funding of Batman Inc. with the purpose of finding Abyss, and now since Abyss is dead, police have orders to arrest any Batman on site, and they begin shooting. This Batman is too good, though, as he protects the crime scene while stringing up the officers and leaving a note to say he will see the detective soon. Next, we see Lex on a rooftop restaurant as Bruce Wayne arrives. Lex wants Bruce to work with him, and they can uncover this abyss mystery together. Bruce didn't, didn't like that, and he took off without a word, almost punching Lex in the face. And as Batman... He finds Abyss's body, about to leave the police station to go to Lex, but he intercepts to get a look himself. The body is not Abyss. This body is months old after death, not two days like Abyss supposedly is. Just then the lights blow out and the room goes completely dark except Batman can see himself, but no other vision frequencies will allow him to see the rest of the room. Abyss steps out of the shadow and attacks, and Batman attacks too, but Abyss is better in the dark it seems. He cuts Batman across the chest and disappears. The lights come back on, and Detective Kaya finds Batman bleeding in the corner. She tells him he needs to go, but he says it's too dark, because apparently there's more daredevil, more daredevil here than we previously thought. He can't hey, he, thing. he's become blind as a bat. Yeah. Ah. He's, he's <laughs> I've been waiting all show to make that joke. Yeah, there you <laughs> go. <laughs> this, this has been a pretty good run so far. I, mean, I get two issues, yeah, but... We all remember Williamson's Flash run, and so oh. far, this does not feel like it. So I'm, I'm really interested. The Luthor idea is such a good twist, I think. I'm, I'm totally sold on it. I can't wait to see what's going to happen. I've seen concept art, spoiler alert, of, of Lex in somewhat of a bat suit, reminiscent of his Superman suit. So that's going to be interesting if that actually comes to fruition, but we'll see. So we'll far, see. I'm hooked. 8.5 for the main story I'm very curious to see and again Batman Inc I know Brandon's really excited that Batman Inc is back I'm excited <laughs> Batman Inc is back well I just I don't know you, you mentioned that concept and I just wonder if Lex has been Superman during Rebirth and he may be stepping into a, a role as a member of Batman Incorporated or something like that uh, I just don't wonder... trust him well, I just, I just wonder if, if five years from now, if, if people have truly run out of ideas, is he going to try and be Wonder Woman next or, or Green Arrow God or something? Help us. 
Just, just fill out the Trinity. Just, oh, wait, wait, wait. Wonder Woman armor. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. Lex Luthor <laughs> is going to be the next Speedy. Yeah. Like, uh, what, what, what's, what, what are you going to try and imitate next? Speedy. There's, it's the, the only logical you need choice. The to ask is, which hero is going to allow him to steal 40 cakes better? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's the real question. Because that's his goal. Yes. That's always been his goal. I mean, he's tried becoming an alien. That didn't work. So, you know. No. <laughs> and I think we all tried to forget about that. Um, yeah. I mean, technically, yeah, he was Martian Manhunter there, too. So maybe yeah. he's making his way through the Justice League. <laughs> yeah. He was actually the superior evolution of Martian he's, Manhunter. He was an apex predator. Yeah. Apex predator. The hell That's what it's a terrible name a- on a- some level. Apex predator. Apex predator. That's what you call a fucking shark. <laughs> 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 I'm just saying. As as far as Joshua William goes, because I'm, I'm a big Flash fan and I couldn't stand anything he did with Flash, he set up great stories, he set up great ideas, there was very little, nice little bows wrapping things up. But in Infinite Frontier, everything he's touching right now, he's doing, at the very least, a decent job. As far as this one goes, it's freaking got me, man. I really, really dig this. And what a literal dream team of artists, too. Molina, Di, uh, Di Benedetto, and Mikkel Yanin. Just complete wow. This issue looks amazing in every single panel. Like, every single one. And the story is there, too, man. I gave this a 9.5. Which is hella high for a Williamson story <laughs> nice. for me. I am neutral on this. I, I'm first of all, I'm, I'm never read a Batman Inc. story, so I'm kind of coming at this from a different angle from a lot of people. Um, but I just, I have don't find the Lex Bruce relationship all that interesting because while there is a history, the book tried to both mention the history and say, "Hey, we've got a history going on," but then like not really dive deep enough into it for it to be interesting. Um, and I think I just, this book can feel, feels a little, like, I'm still a little confused as to why this book is happening. Like, why Batman is needing to go to this country to investigate this. Um, and... Because we've had so much Batman, he just needs to get the fuck out of Gotham. No, I, I got that. But, like, <laughs> like, in terms of purpose, like, I get that, like, they want got Batman out of Gotham. Sure. But this story just hasn't been working for me. Um, Abyss doesn't seem all that interesting as a villain. Um, obviously it's early, but like, I just, I haven't cared much about that. And the only thing I really enjoyed about this comic was the Bruce at Lex on the like top of the hotel or restaurant scene or whatever. That was kind of fun. And Lex being like talking about the wine being about the story. That was really cool. Mm -hmm. Um, otherwise I, I'm not feeling it yet. Um, I think I definitely at this point was feeling Tinian's run a lot better. But it's also only issue two, and I have an I have a feeling that this story will become much more important as we approach March and closer and closer to the 2022 big event that theoretically is Joshua Williamson is writing. So I'm fingers I'm, crossed. I'll see anyway. where this I'll see where this goes. I'll see where it goes. Yep. Fair enough. Yeah, I uh, one uh, well, okay. Go ahead. No, no, one more it. thing I wanted to point out was, at the very least, I'm super thankful. And I mean super thankful that Williamson is much better at naming villain, villains than Tynan is. Can't, 
can't stress that enough. You don't Abyss like yeah. as much of a henchmaster, clown hunter. I mean, seriously. I don't know, you're not this, a villain now. If Blues. this was a Tinian character, it'd be Darkness Man. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Or Shadow Line, the Dark Meister, like that. Batman yeah. Blind Causer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Goodness. Uh, yeah. No, I I had given this one an eight out of ten, which is the same thing I gave last issue, if I remember correctly, um, uh-huh. because it's like I'll say this: it's very consistent. Um, and and I, I I think I've mentioned in the past that I was excited to see Joshua Williamson step on to Batman because I thought he had a really great voice for Bruce on uh, Batman Superman, uh, as well as you know the the surprisingly good four part uh, tie into Heroes in Crisis the price I was like yeah I, I feel like you you'd have a pretty strong voice for Bruce and I feel like that carries here. Um, Which, but, might I add, is the only good part of Heroes in Crisis. Yeah, yeah. No, that, that tie-in was, was a lot better than I'd expected. Um, but, um, yeah, I think um, I'm, still, I'm still kind of waiting for, I don't know, a little bit more um, in terms of just where this mystery is going. So, obviously, I was really excited to see the reincorporation of Batman, Inc. and just what they've been up to and this whole mystery revolving around Abyss and everything like that. Um, but I think, and, and maybe this was just a length thing, but, you know, last issue was obviously 30 pages, this one's 22. I could definitely feel kind of like... The, the shortness? Yeah, the shortness of the pacing. The just brevity. Being cut, um, where we had more time in the last one to just decompress from everything, from Fear State, and then sort of transition towards the end of that issue into, you know, the Abyss mystery... And this one was kind of just like, you know, Lex and Luther, Lex and Luther, Lex and Bruce have their back and forth. They meet on the rooftop. Bruce goes to investigate, fights Abyss, end of issue. Um, and while all that stuff has interesting elements, it just it felt a little too quick and, and too, you know, fast paced for me to really latch on to anything. So um, why, why, again, I'm interested in some of the concepts that are going into it, especially with the Batman Inc. stuff. I feel like I just I need more and, and maybe um, and we'll talk about this a little bit with the upcoming backup, but maybe this would have been serviced better if it just was a 30 page issue as opposed to, to 22. So um, I did. Like I said, I did give yeah. it an eight, but there was strong stuff. And, and I really like the art from Jorge Molina. Um, it was just excellent stuff with Shadow. Reminds me a lot of Olivia Capel in some places. Oh, um, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, just I'm 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 kind of waiting for it to build um, and get to that place where I'm like I'm hooked. Um, so yeah, uh, Rob, you want to catch us up on the backup? Yes. Yeah, so this is titled "They Make Great Pets." But why? Why is it called that? Yeah. Why? So far, it doesn't really make sense. And didn't the cover also have a different title for it? I don't remember. Oh, it just Gotham. yeah, Gotham Academy Adventure. Academy Adventures, yeah. yeah. Uh, so this was written, drawn, and lettered by Carl Kershaw, with colors by John Rausch. Mia Mizoguchi returns home from her time at Gotham Academy, but her friend is missing. Mm-hmm. Mia thinks it has to do with body parts found in the river. After a dinner party, she sneaks out in a homemade Robin costume to investigate, and while in her friend's house, she finds not a person, but lots of cucumbers and Batman. He brings her out of there to take her home, but is stopped by some things running across the Batmobile. Batman chases them to the riverbank, but one was behind him, 
Mia warns him just as the creatures drag him underwater. So this is a curious little story. It started out when I when I read on the cover uh, Gotham Academy Adventures. I didn't read much about Gotham Academy, so I didn't really have much to go on. Oh, but I from did. what I understood, mm-hmm. it was at least I I thought it was super a, enjoyable. A, mm-hmm. a cute story. Yes. At least what I understood yeah. from the like was it was it child friendly? Mm-hmm. I was not expecting monsters potentially murdering book. people. Okay, yeah. So I still wasn't expecting that. It, this <laughs> this kind of threw me for a loop when I got to the the pages of the the monsters and potentially a death and body parts found in the water. So I'm into it, and the name Mizuguchi sounds really familiar, but I can't quite place where I know it from. This is 7.5 for me. I thought the the art was really nice, and I'm curious to see where this is going. Yeah, no, I, I was uh, I was a big fan of, of Gotham Academy, especially in in the high school. Um, that was uh, a, a series that I really enjoyed. That I felt like they just kind of canned too soon. I mean, I know they had the second season or whatever that that sequel was called. Second, sem- second semester. Yeah, second semester. They had just they, they like after I think it was like 12 or 13. They were like, yeah, no, we're done. Um, and they hadn't said anything about it since. Which is kind of disappointing because I, I I do kind of enjoy, you know, some of those um, more uh, you know YA focused books. Um, so this was kind of fun to see the you know the kind of return of a, a, a Gotham Academy character that I enjoyed. My problem was really just like this is the worst place to put this backup, and I I, mm. I was almost like baffled. Yeah. Um, as to why it was here, because I mean, you know, Batman, at least right now, currently is kind of a story focusing on Bruce and this and, and all this stuff going on in his life. And <laughs> you just have this cutesy story with maps that I really enjoyed, but it just has no place here. I mean, tonally, it, it could not be more different. And it, it just does not work if you're doing this all as one continuous read. Um, so I won't fault that on the story itself. And it, it didn't factor into my rating. Um, but it just, it just feels like the worst place to read it. Cause I can just see in my mind, people are just gonna be like, I don't want to read this crap. I want to focus on my Batman. I don't care about this character from a book I probably didn't read. Um, but it, so it's just kind of disappointing cause I, I can see that reaction and the likelihood of, you know, this leading to any kind of other Gotham Academy stuff in the future is, is minimal at best, unless people just really love it, which I doubt. Um, but yeah, no, that's, was, I was, feel like that's the case with the m- majority of backups that we've been seeing over the course of the past year it's like okay are you literally just throwing these in to try and shorten up the main story so you don't have to kick out another eight pages what is the purpose of all these inconsequential i mean there's a lot of stuff yeah but yeah they've not been great it just it just it just Again, tonally, if you're reading this all as one piece, it just does not fit at all. Um, but again, I won't fault the story itself for that because I, I thought it was really cute. Um, and you know, if if anyone read Batman Black and White, Carl Kershaw already kind of teased a story similar to this, where Maps was Robin, which I think was like based on some fan art that he had done once, like a, as a joke, and people loved it so much they're like, "Oh, wouldn't it be fun if Maps from Gotham Academy was Robin?" And and now we're actually seeing a version of it. I will I don't know. take like I said, that any day over Carrie Kelly. Yeah, I, I figured. Yeah. Um, even though she does have the same glasses, 
which I thought you were going to have some comments quite. on. But Not anyway. quite the same glasses. Um, kind of similar. I mean, but it anyway. begs the question, like, is a new Robin coming? Because Tim Drake, they've already kind of teased the next Tim Drake story that he's oh, getting I doubt it. something yeah, bigger. I and then Damian Wayne, if, 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 apparently it was just a mistake, sort of. But Damian Wayne and Superman Son of El looks really tall. Where it's like, okay, is it time for a new younger Robin? It's no, been I, almost I, I twelve years since the last one. They normally yeah, come I, about I, one every twelve years. Yeah, I, I sincere. Well, yeah, I mean, after Dick Grayson, the Half Life just like decreased. Um, but um, <laughs> right, yeah. Um, but but no. Well, I guess actually, Tim Drake had like what? Tim Drake was in the two thousand. Yeah, twenty yeah. years from eighty nine to to two thousand nine, if I remember correctly. I mean, Damien's anyway. what twelve years now. Yeah, so you know, I, I would hope not, but no, I, I I think anyone who's saying that is is reading into it too much. This is probably just gonna be like a, I dressed up as Robin and teamed up with Batman once story, I think so and too. then and then it's just like, all right, bye, maps. We'll see you in five years if anyone cares. Um, but anyway, for my score, I, I gave this one as well an eight out of ten because it was fun and it was cute and I liked it and Carl Kersel is great. Um, yes, he is. But uh, but yeah, just. I mean, God bless this book. It, it does not need to be here. And I can already see the reactions of this is so stupid. This doesn't fit. Why is it here? So on That's and so That's why it's forth. a backup. You ain't yeah. got to read it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's just, it, it, was, it was just a weird placement. Um, and, and I wish it could be somewhere else so I could enjoy it, you know, as, as a continuing thing than, you know, a couple short backups in Batman that probably won't get extended anywhere else. But, um, yeah. But if it helps, Brandon, you're, the what you're describing is pretty much exactly what my train of thought was when I got to it. I was like, "Wait, mm. what the hell does this have to do?" Yeah. It's like young Diana all over again. But yeah, then I, oh, God, yes. and I was hooked. Mm-hmm. Totally, I was so could not be more different. So, yeah, I think for me, this is a six. I just said that's because that's what I'm asking. It's like, why is it here? It feels unimportant. Um, I will say that I do. I did enjoy it a little bit, um, but I'm just down on it. If they are teasing a Robin angle, which I think they actually could be. I think it's one thing, like, because I think generally the the backstories have had an intention to an extent. Like, the, like the, the Hunter stuff ended up being important later down the road. And the Midnighter story, as much as people don't like it necessarily, was still, did have an impact past the story. If that's where they're going, I think they'll be more positive on it as it goes on. But for the most part, I just... It just wasted my time and was unimportant, and that's kind of what I read comics for: is importance and enjoyment. So, I don't give you that. Absolutely, man. But also, my job is ordering everything by importance. That's important. So, (laughs) (laughs) and well, as as in in regards to what you guys had said, um, I am not ready for Damien to step out of the Robin role yet. And I want to say that's because, yeah, we've had them for like 12 years now, but... That's still not very long either. Well, it's not even the fact that it's 12 years. It's the fact that we haven't seen shit with him as far as character development. He's just really? been there. He's been going, Tch, and I'm angry, and I'm Batman's son, and I'm the son of the demon, and I'm the one that deserves... It's been the same shit coming out well, of his mouth for forever. me at least I don't, I don't know that it's a lack of character development it's more like every time they do develop it's it's like um what's the joke like one step forward two steps yeah, one back. step forward two steps back so it's like yeah. 
you'll you'll have a I don't know a Batman and Robin by uh, Peter J. Damasi or even Grant Morrison for example, um, and then you'll have uh, you know a, a Teen Titans by uh, Adam Glass and Robbie Thompson that kind of sets it back. So it's like every time you yeah. maybe take a step forward to having him be a more I don't know, uh, sociable or, or just like less of a, a dick. You have someone kind of say, <laughs> but that's what I know. So I'm just going to move it back to this place that I know. And it, it just kind of fluctuates. Um, well, here, here being, being married to a writer and wishing I was one, um, being in a comfortable spot, keeping your environment and your characters in a very easy to do comfortable area where you're just like oh yeah tap 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 i can do this that's crappy writing it's not going to end up in 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 anybody's collection saying this this is what i need you to read it's just Mm -hmm. not gonna happen i can say that about joshua williamson's robin run so far in its entirety it has been amazing We've seen character growth. It it has started to paint Damien in a different light, and that's got me super excited. And that is why, especially including his new kick-ass costume, I'm not done. I love uh, his costume. Yeah, yeah, I'm just I'm not done seeing him as Robin yet. Well, that's I don't a think big we're yet, done with though. him being Robin yet. But like we have two Robins right now. If Tim Drake's moving on, like having a new. Ah uh, no 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 no! He's, he's Red Robin, according Sorry, to Batman. Let me rephrase it. No, in, in Batman <laughs> Urban Legends number that. ten, they teased very heavily that Tim Drake <laughs> would both be getting his own story, most likely some sort of miniseries in the future, and that he would be dropping the name Robin. I um, it's also why hope so. because that's also this tease, and because of the success of Batman of the Tim Drake story, it's also why, from my understanding. The Tim Drake hasn't really shown up again in the upcoming solicits for Urban Legends is because they're preparing to give him something bigger. Um, and that's my best guess. And I think it's probably very likely. Um, fingers and crossed. on top of that, I think Damian Wayne has had a significant arc lately. Um, I think starting from like his whole premise initially was he is an assassin first. And then like he sort of learns to be, okay, maybe I can be a hero. And then, but he's like still like this very stuck up, I'm the best hero possible. And he's like lonely and he isolates himself. And then he meets John and they slowly begin to build friendships. And he finds a way to become more emotional or show his softer side. And then when John gets aged and disappears, he finds himself falling somewhat back down a hole where he's like needs where he misses having that sort of connection. Somewhat down a hole. Team... Dude was kidnapping and brainwashing people. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that, 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 I mean, so yeah, hole. so it goes down a hole, right? But then, but and now that we've come to, now that we've come to the Lazarus uh, tournament and stuff, he's become a much more mature. He's maturing, like he's a lot, like yes. he's becoming less and less childish. And I think Thanks, that's one uh, of the big uh, things that we've things really seen is he still has that arrogance, he still has that cockiness, but he's becoming much more. In, he's becoming much more emotionally aware, and, and I think he's becoming yes, absolutely. With the and I think he's becoming much more mature. And the books he's telling are becoming much more mature. And I'm curious to see where the Super Sons annual that comes out, I think, next week is going to go. Because I'm really excited to see where that relationship is, according to Tomasi, 
and to see that grow. But it's I think we're approaching the next phase of his of Damien's story, which is him sort of being the older Robin, um, who's which now I'm, getting to I'm deal with more mature it. stuff. Um, but I do think there's been an arc. It's just been a standard comics arc, which is over ten years. The characters change like twenty percent. <laughs> If that, I mean, yeah. and like Brandon said, I mean, in the 20% margin, it's been two steps, uh, one step forward and two steps back. Essentially. And um, I'm really looking forward to seeing what that Super Sons issue looks like because I enjoyed his cameo in Son of Kal-El and the way that he was presented in that, that, that gives me even more faith in his continued character development, even being picked up by other character, uh, other creators. And I'm, I'm just, I'm really excited to see where this goes. Well, hey, I that's was, a great, oh, no, go ahead. No, I mean, it is a transition. Yeah, but, so um, that's a great transition to our next I, book. I, I was, uh, um, I haven't given my score for maps yet, but uh, I'm very, very interested in seeing where it goes because of all the advancements that we've seen i want tim to drop everything to do with robin and get his own identity that isn't named after a duck and it better not be chicken fast food chain right exactly i mean it's ridiculous and he he in my opinion he's the best robin don't get into a fight with me about nightwing dick grayson has dick grayson has not been a robin in forever he is past robin he is just as important, if not more important, than Bruce Wayne. So also, his... the Drake is a dragon, so um, I think he's actually based off a dragon, not a duck. I mean, he had brown <laughs> outfit. A yeah. Drake is yeah, like a, a male brown duck. Dragon. But I think, I, think, I, think Bendis, I think Bendis was going for the Drake duck. I think Obviously, I know. But, Drake <laughs> is, but if they wanted to keep the Drake name, you can't make it um, like a dragon. So. Well, that would be Damien then. Oh, no, no I'm sorry. Dragon, not demon. Anyway. <laughs> anyway. Uh... Maps from Gotham Academy. Cool. Five years later, though, and she hasn't aged a bit. I'm going to borrow a quote kind of from one of my uh, former favorite movies. And I have to say, one thing I hate about living in Gotham I could never stomach is all the damn vampires. Why does she not get older in five years? But in any case... That was supposed to be funny. You should should have laughed. <laughs> While I really oh, you guys aren't old enough to. You can insert a Lost laugh Boys. track there. <laughs> it's an old movie, but while I really doubt that this story has any significance, this does feel like it has the potential to be fun, interesting. The only question I have is who makes great pets? I gave this one a seven out of ten. Altogether, I loved the whole freaking issue. I gave it an 8.75. The whole book is awesome, and I don't know anything else I can say that's accurate. It's just awesome. Yeah, no. All right, well, with that, we can make our transition to our next book, which is Superman, Son of Kal-El, number six. Uh, So, Josh, I'm going to hand it over to you. Oh, excuse me. I'm not going to hand it over to you. I'm... Or I am. Oh no! Yes, I'm sorry. son of Kal El um, is mine. Yeah, look, I'm looking like back and forth between the different schedules <laughs> that we made, and it got confusing for a second. But anyway, it's, it's take it all away. right. Son of Kal El, written by Tom Taylor, with art and colors by the wonderful John Timms and Hi-Fi. This story is a pretty quick one. Some guy that has the power to put people to sleep is stealing kids. John 
Jay, and independently Damien are investigating who let Faultline out, the woman that was dropped like a bomb on the Kent house. On the security footage, they see Senator Hendy Henderson, the Gamoran ambassador to the U.S., and this sleep inducer breaking her out. They find the ambassador on a ship sailing with a bunch of kids, and John frees the kids, swipes the ambassador, while fighting off the power of that sleep dude. Before he takes him to Batman for interrogation, he takes him to Jay, who, uh, to which he tells him uh, that his mother, the former president of Badnesia, is still alive. Next, we see Sleep Dude complaining that John got away, and while we're shown and we're shown a tower of tanks holding people, and it's very be, uh, obvious that they're all superpowered just by looking at the tanks. The rising is about to begin. Let's see how that works out. I think this issue was kick-ass, and damn, Taylor can write a Superman. As far as I'm concerned, this just keeps getting better and better, and it's obviously not just because it's a transitional character. We're past that now. This isn't Taylor showing us a, a, a new person. This is, this is, I feel like this is Superman, and I'm loving those stories. And it's a very well-written one. It's drawn damn good, too. I love it. The only gripe that I have is why take him to Batman for interrogation? Damien is right there. With John present, he wouldn't overstep. And that's really the only serious critique I got about this book. It, I gave it an 8.5 out of 10. Look, I love John. He's my favorite character. He's been my favorite character of all of Rebirth. Um, I, he's sort of grown up at a similar time to I am. He's... I've always kind of viewed him like the fact that he's bisexual means a lot to me. Um, and he's really grown a lot. I still think aging him up was one of the worst decisions comics has made in the last decade. Um, yes. Um, but I, and I have enjoyed this new version of John, but I have a big gripe with the run where we've now hit what, roughly 15 or so issues of infinite frontier where he's been included. And I still mm. don't feel like he has a personality. That's not, I'm just Superman. Um, and I'm starting to get a little worn on that because the things I loved about John, the things that made me care about him haven't been there. Like his optimism, but in sort of like a wholesome sense, you know, right. and that's missing. And if the storyline is, oh, he's not as wholesome anymore because he's gotten older. Okay. But his personality has been, I'm pro, uh, pro climate change. And while his values and stuff have been spot on, that's what I've been wanting Superman to be for a long time, you know? We open the story okay. about we need to fix the problems, not the symptoms. Um, I think it's all really important, but the personality just hasn't been there for me, and I feel like I'm still waiting on a art on a writer to get that right, and I just feel like it hasn't come. Um, I I'll also counterpoint. Now, I don't okay. think that his personality change is due to his aging up. I think it's got to do with the fact that he knows his dad's about to die. And that's messing with the kid. And what I see isn't a loss of optimism. It's the introduction of doubt and fear. But they, don't, they aren't leaning on those doubts and fear other than his, oh, I'm about to see my boyfriend for the first time. Oh, my God. So the hardest thing I've ever done, which, okay. Um, and I don't think. <laughs> True enough. Like, and I just don't think that that's been there. And I think his like story with uh, Jay Nakamura, while I think it's really important that it's there. And obviously it's been getting the ire of all sorts of people who we've already talked at length about this podcast about um, who should shut up. 
I do feel like this relationship. I haven't bought this relationship. Like, does anyone else like actually find Jay an interesting character? Yeah, I kind of do. Like, I think I, I think his personality needs work, but um, I, I think just, that I don't the premise him. of Jay is pretty good. Like, I don't believe like his costume is so weird. Like, it's just always felt like there's just something weird about it. Where just like it just came too quickly. And what so happens to... if it's set up like that for him to become a villain? I, I really hope that's not the case. I, exactly. It's like, there's just like, I feel like this is going, the story's going down the wrong path. And it's just, I haven't, it, it for it to be like the relationship to be such an important part of the marketing, I feel like the relationship isn't getting the time to be fleshed out and interesting. And while I think they did a lot of work to make Jay a little more interesting, I just, I haven't bought their relationship yet. Other than, look at us, we're two, bi- we're two uh, queer men kissing, you know? Um, and I just want more out of my queer relationships. But there, there, yeah. there is a, a big, huge difference between representation and spectacle. I will give you that. Yeah, if it's, and if, if, I'm, if it's I'd just rather there. have this than nothing. But I feel like there's a lot more work that can be done to make this better. I, I think that I, I have had this feeling for a little bit now that they're introducing. Because I, I still have that that picture of John in Future State. That shit gets on Brandon's nerves, but he, he's he's a lot he's a lot angrier, um, and I I can't help but put things together in my head and think that maybe what drives him to such anger and such um Superman work ethic might be because Jay when he finds out about his mom and some certain things happen. I, I, I genuinely worry that we're headed towards Jay turning into a villain and John having, having to be the one to take him down. I do think the best John story of this new era has been the future state Superman slash Wonder Woman story. Uh, uh-huh. I thought, if you remember that story, I thought that was really fun. And I feel like John really had a personality there that was interesting. But mm-hmm. otherwise, I've just been really nervous. And as we hit year one, I'm starting to question where this is going. Um, but to be clear, I like the story a lot. I think Tom Taylor's done a great job telling the story in terms of the traditional superhero stuff I really like. My nitpicks are more because I care so much about John and I want this relationship to be compelling that like, for me, this comic is an eight, right? To be clear, I just like, I have things where I like really care about getting better. To be clear. <laughs> Sorry, that's a Canadian joke. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> I, yeah, I mean, I, I I share the same concerns as you do. I hope I'm wrong about Jay, and um, I do want to see more personality and voice fleshed out. That's one of my biggest problems with uh, some creators. Um, I'm talking to you, Bendis, that, that just... <laughs> introduce and roll with the character rather than flesh them out rather than get them a voice rather than clearly define them at all. And I feel like Taylor's doing a better job at that than, you know, for God's sake, Bendis. Um, but I, I do see where you're coming from. I just, I think I've got a little bit more optimism about it than you do. I think this is rather than him being flat. I think it's slow building. No, I think this is a step in the right direction. I will. I do think, though, he's felt a little too much like a Clark Kent copy. Um, and I think that's been more of my gripe. That's more what I'm referring to, is he just doesn't really separate himself from his dad in the biggest way he did when he was a child. 
was through his much more upbeat personality. Um, he hasn't really felt like a queer character, like even though he's, which sure, like you can say what you want about that. But I, I think it's one of the problems that comes with straight men writing queer characters. And it's not that he's Tom Taylor's done a bad job. It's just it can be done so much better with more uh, insight from queer voices. Fair anyway, enough. I don't want to. I don't want to drag that out. So we <laughs> no, can move no. on. Other opinions? Uh, yeah. I, I mean, I didn't really have any, you know, uh, opinions on the relationship stuff. To be honest, it uh, it didn't really. I mean, it was you know, it's there, but um I, I, again i was much more f- focused on the gamora story and where that was going and where that's building towards that you know uh, not to sound insensitive but the relationship stuff was just kind of you know there and maybe that is a byproduct of it not being written as as interesting but i, I found myself more like okay let's get back to the you know the bendix stuff and the refugees and the fault line things so um i think for me and, and how this issue is just kind of, you know, moving towards that story. It did work, and, and, I, and I was interested. Um, but I, I, do, I do feel like I, I wish we could spend a little bit more time just developing the situation in Gamora, because I, I would personally be more interested to see how, you know, how, how is it destabilized? What, what exactly is Bendix doing? We just sort of get descriptions of it, like... I don't know. I, I just I wish I could have more context for that situation, so I could really get a sense of like, okay, what exactly could John do to intervene to make the situation better, other than just you know rescuing boats of people or you know breaking um, storage facilities or whatever. Um, he could like slight. I, he he could become slightly authoritarian. Well, I, I don't want that. Um, God, but no. Yeah, that was a mess. Um, but in any case, yeah, I just, I, I kind of want to see more of that. So I gave this one an 8.25, like that was solid. And it's, it's building to an interesting place story-wise, um, character-wise, I'm sure you can debate on that. Um, but yeah, I just, again, I, I want to see more of like, okay, well, we've seen the Metropolis perspective. We've seen John intervene. Let's spend some more time on Gamora, build that up a little bit. Fair enough. I, I noticed that Rob has been conspicuously quiet. He's formulating his thoughts. <laughs> yes. Because I have my, my written thoughts and then I have backup thoughts. Uh, so written thoughts. I love the relationship with Robin and John. I've always been an advocate for Super Sons. I love that series. Tomasi wrote some great work in that. So this is great to see, especially Robin being so caring to John and, and accepting of everything. It's great mm. to see, especially from the Son of the Demon. <laughs> right <laughs> and and with the way this book ended john's gonna need a lot more than jay and damien on his side sure we could have the airy and wink but he's gonna need more than even them so <laughs> that's that's a lot of super powered people over on gamora well then let's get roy wally yara john throw them together and have a new yeah. justice league that's what i'm looking <laughs> forward to yeah. i hope we're i hope we're getting close to that yeah i can't Me i did, I did have a... i did i did have one nitpick about the interaction between um john and damien and and it is it is like it's small and it's it's very trite and it's petty almost but it's just <laughs> like and i i don't know i feel so stupid for even saying this but it's like he says man and i'm like 
Damien would never say that. He would have said no. Ken, or he would have said John. It's it's like it is the smallest thing. It doesn't matter. But I was just like, ah, like I I I don't know. I just I read that. I was like, no, nah, he would have well, said Ken. You, he would have said it my way. You are very <laughs> very right. Like it would have been. Mm-hmm. I'm really happy for you, Kent or John. Um, yeah. Now, nah, man, he's not a surfer, bro. All right, but uh, otherwise. Oh. Well, those are some story about that little waves, interaction. Man. Apparently, originally it was supposed, supposed to be, to be Tim, Tim Drake. Yeah. yeah, that's why. That's what I was gonna bring up next. Yeah, yeah. and that's why Damien looks so tall in that. It's because they were like, yeah. "Well, we've already drawn the character. Oops." Um, and I, but I honestly wonder. I'm telling you, I think Damien's going through puberty. I think we're slowly seeing it. Anyway, he's yeah. 14. I'm, I'm fine with yeah, that. That's, that's, that's exactly where where I think this take on on damien is coming from that his whole main series is him growing up and and becoming a teenager and like you said going through puberty he's, he's getting that character development so his his mannerisms are going to change a little bit was just like a, a humorous <laughs> throwback yeah. or like do you have anything to say for yourself yeah and that's that was it i, yeah. I loved it and yeah <laughs> so for him to like get out of just being aggressively saying people's last names you know john's his best friend and they've been through a lot of shit you've seen i, I don't know if you actually read super sons but there's oh, yeah. a lot of fucking volumes yeah. in their library when they're old men so they, they've been through some shit together okay so there's it's to, totally to a queer relationship man, there right totally... what yeah. john and damien yeah there's been a lot of fanfic that says so. There's been I a mean, lot of fanfic old that's men been hanging around out for together, Tim Drake. Spending all their time together. I don't know. I, I don't I'm know. Just, I, I, it's I, called I queer coding. Anyway. I still see them I as you can make a friends. case for that. But, but I, I'm not against that. But I yeah. still I see them as you know, the sons of Batman and Superman. And that's that's the appeal that I see is that they were kids whose parents were best friends and they grew up together so naturally they become best friends as well and yeah. i just i think that is such a, an interesting dynamic and that's part of what i love about the whole idea of super sons as for the relationship with jay i'm still digging it and i think the the awkwardness is is just like it doesn't feel it does feel a little lacking but i'm chalking that up to john's just new at this he he spent his teen years hurtling through space and time, trapped on Earth 3, in the future with the Legion of Superheroes. Stuck in a volcano with Jor-El for a thousand years. Yeah, yeah, he didn't really get much chance to grow through his teen years, Mm -hmm. so now all of a sudden he's having these new feelings and and emotions and things that, you know, to him might feel normal, but is also new and different. But I think his story in the writing isn't about that. It's been much more bare bones, and I think like there's a lot of interesting stories you can tell there. It's just he hasn't had those stories. Yeah, I, I think they'll get there, but they're they're letting it do that slow build while they go through this Gamora story first. No, maybe when we, once we get past that, we'll get to like some some heavy relationship stories. I hope and then so. Everybody that hates it can shut the fuck up. <laughs> I'm, yeah, I mean, good stories don't ditch anything. We need development. We need progression. And um, let me clarify, at least for myself, um, Tomasi and Super Sons is a great idea. I love it. There's only one person that should ever write Super Sons because was it John Ridley 
or Ridley Pearson that did the oh, wrote that novel was Ridley Pearson. Ridley Pearson. Yeah. It was shit. It was complete <laughs> I didn't hate shit. It. They whitewashed everything. Yeah. And I, I couldn't stand that. I'm not I'm not brown. I'm white. My name isn't Damien. It's Ian. I don't have dark hair. I have blonde <laughs> hair. If you wanted to do that, you should have made a completely different character, you fucking turd. End of rant. Yeah. <laughs> All right. I love Josh Rand. Yeah. So <laughs> Sorry. For all, all right. the hate against Mendes, I've always thought that he actually did a decent job with the Super Sound dynamic. He just never spent any time with it. It was like two stories, and he, that was it. So, who knows? All right. Well, we have yeah. uh, we have we have spent some time on uh, Superman, Son of Kella. We're going to get into our last two books for this week for this uh, slightly larger episode, uh, starting with Arkham City: The Order of the World, um, and that is, of course, by Dan Waters with art from Danny. Uh, colors from Dave Stewart and letters from the ever-talented Aditya Bidikar. Um, I'm going to kind of shorten my recap for this one, um, but it wasn't that long anyway. Uh, but basically, Dr. Joy, after her encounter with the supposed Arkham ghost and uh, the Ten-Eyed Man's fight with Azrael, flees her way from the scene um, before <clears throat> uh, interacting, or having an interaction, rather, with uh, Dr. Phosphorus and Nocturna, who are trying to live out their normal lives in a, a random Gotham apartment, away from all the chaos and madness. While at uh, Gotham Hospital, uh, the detective that had been following, and I'm forgetting his last name for the life of me. That's um, not normal behavior. I know, I know. Like I said, <laughs> I've been off my games last week. I think it's COVID. No, I'm that was a reference to the book, dude. Uh, oh, really? <laughs> That's what Phosphorus says throughout the whole thing. Oh, God. Oh, I thought I, thought, I, thought I was just catching some hate. No. Um, <laughs> no. <laughs> but no, the detective who's been to the hospital um, is, uh, is reunited with his family for a little bit um, and, and gets a chance to catch up with them. Uh, but really the focus of the book is on um, Dr. Joy's conversation with Nocturna and Dr. Phosphorus as they are, are giving some more speculation as to um, the theory that uh, the Ten-Eyed Man had presented in the last issue uh, regarding Gotham's ancient history and the madman that had supposedly you know, been involved with the founding of Gotham City and uh, some kind of strange madness plot to uh, preserve um, the madness within a skull of that madman himself. <clears throat> But uh, after her uh, conversation with uh, Dr. Phosphorus and, and sort of the revelation that uh, their presence within this apartment has been having a, a rather horrible effect on their next door neighbors um, and slowly killing them uh, with radiation poisoning, um, that is when uh, Nocturna and Dr. Phosphorus sort of reveal that uh, the ghost of Arkham that Dr. Joy had supposedly seen um, while with Azrael and the Ten-Eyed Man uh, is someone else, uh, a she that we do not fully know the identity of. But we do know who she is working for, and it is none other than Professor Pig, who I guess has a net yet another plan to make Gotham City perfect. So we'll see how that develops in uh, the next few issues. Right. Um, this series, at least for me, his the start was a little bit shaky, but two and three I think were really just you know blowing it out of the water and. Uh, we're just really impressive with uh, with the story and the themes that have been um, building uh, so far, um, and I think this one was was pretty strong as well. 
um, but I think was just a little bit weaker than issue three. So I ended up giving it an eight out of 10, like I said, still solid. And I still just, I, I love the idea of, you know, this like intersection between Arkham and Gotham City. And, you know, it's like, you don't even know where the madness breaks apart from the two. It's like they're, they're overlapping essentially. And well, madness qu- spreads quite, between them. quite, quite, um, oh, I forgot the word. Amnerology. Uh, but yeah, I mean, that, that quite literally, there we go. Um, with him laying that map of Arkham over top of Gotham. I mean, yeah. it definitely overlaps. Yeah, no, I just, I, I really like that idea that, you know, the, the madness has supposedly returned to Gotham as, as Gotham was built on madness. So I think, I think there's a lot of really cool stuff being built in it. Again, I just, I think this one was just a little bit weaker um, just because I, I think I probably would have preferred them to just really um, focus on Dr. Joy instead of having some of the cutaways with the detective. I didn't know I was as interested in, but I, I I understood the purpose of those scenes, like what it was trying to say about, you know, him being surrounded by these crazies and maybe he fits in like all that stuff. I I understood it. I just, I don't know how much it worked. Um, And then, you know, the art from Danny, um, I know it's really stylized and some people don't like it, but I I feel like I was spoiled because Danny had done another book with Dan Waters called Coffin Bound. That was just this really great Mm. horror book. Um, I, I, I feel like all that that stuff, that energy is being brought to Gotham City and it works really well. Um, so yeah, I just, you know, I, I dug it, but again, I think it's just a little bit of a, a drop from the uh, last issue. So I gave it an 8 out of 10. Uh, Danny and Waters together is better than Cherry Pie, and that says <laughs> something. Uh, the second thing is that I love about this book is the fact that the Ten-Eyed Man, who, thank you for bringing him way out of the dust, uh, he's both 100% psychic and 100% delusional, and you never know which one is right. That's cool. Um, as far as the art goes, Danny fucking nails it, and I'm not huge on stylized art, but this, it just fits the story. Between the dialogue, the story itself, the plot, and the art, it straight up feels like a noir detective story just featuring DC characters. Don't get me wrong, the story is weird flat out weird but it is really really good too i can't figure out how the hell professor pig is supposed to fit into this at least not yet but i enjoyed the hell out of it man eight out of ten for me yeah the art reminds me of sin city in a lot of places yeah not 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 everyone loves but i think it just it kind of like that really gritty grimy heavily shadowed art uh just kind of works there yeah, like noir detective stories. I mean, that's yeah. exact. You know, it's it's wonderful. Yeah. I love it. Yeah, this is it's such a creepy story, but it's really enjoyable. I'm loving it so far. It's just getting better. Like the the first issue, the first couple of issues are kind of lacking. I was really curious where they're going with this, but the more I read it, the more the issues come out, the more I like it. And yeah, we we still don't know what's happening, but they really seem to be. Hinting that uh, Doctor Jacosta is is just going through her own psychosis right now, and mm. there's not really anything mystical going on. There's not some big mystery in the air, but that map of Arkham and Gotham City perfectly lining up is just insane. But that was also Ten-Eyed Man, like he said. <laughs> sometimes he's psychic, sometimes he's crazy. But so like, this is an eight out of ten for me. I'm still loving it. What, two issues left? Uh, yeah, six issues. Yeah. 
I'm neutral on this book. Um, to be fair, I've only read the first book issue and the fourth issue, so take what I say with a grain of salt. Um, I like the Ten-Eyed Man stuff, but otherwise, I felt like the story is, feels at least a little aimless. Um, it's sort of about people just trying to survive um, while they wait for some new place to go and watching as things sort of fall apart and don't work out. Um, I think they've done a good job fleshing out each of these characters in interesting ways, but I'm not in love with the art. Uh, maybe it's just a personal stylistic thing, but it gives me very Doom Patrol, Morris era, like Morrison vibes. Um, I don't remember who really? wrote the art oh, for that. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah no, I'm not actually, a big fan that's, of that. that's, No, that's, that's, um, well, that's just that's a strange case because it's like Richard Case who does the art for that Doom Patrol run. I usually think of his stuff as being very clean and, and usually pretty straightforward. I don't know, like, it gave me, like, those visual, like, I'm not, I'm not talking about, like, the, like, art as a whole. I'm talking about, like, the mm. character designs and stuff. Like, that kind uh, of stuff yeah, has yeah, been yeah. really. And I I thought the story was decent, um, but I'm not going to give it a score because I don't feel like it's fair given that I haven't read all the st- issues. Um, so, anyway. That's fair. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. On the subject of Doom Patrol, though, I love the TV show. The TV show is great. I don't hate the characters at all. But if someone were to bury Flex Mentallo and never bring him out again, I wouldn't cry about it. Okay, he can flex his uh, butt muscles, so that's uh. great. <laughs> oh, boy. All right, well, we'll get into our last book for this week, and that is Suicide Squad number 11. Josh, I'm going to pass it back to you. Can you give us a recap? Suicide Squad? Yes. All right, I'm actually going to let Rob take care of that one. Oh, once again, I have I have messed up. <laughs> That's um, all right. I'm looking at I'm looking again. I'm looking at the old because I have two portions where I put it, and I, I have the old schedule. There was a chance that Rob there. wasn't going to be able to make it. Yes, we had uh, some backup situations, but Rob's yeah. here. Woo-hoo! Rob is here, so yeah, I'll let I you take it. care of it. All right. So this is from writer Robbie Thompson and Dennis Hopeless, with art by Eduardo Pensica and Julio Ferreira and Dexter Soy with colors by Marcella Maiolo and letters from Dave Sharp. And it's just as good that I had my own schedule mishap because I thought this was going to be the lightning round. So my synopsis is damn short. It doesn't need to be long. <laughs> it really doesn't. Not much happened. So Waller sends her team to Earth-8 to prove how ruthless they can be against the Retaliators, who were totally not the Avengers. Exactly. And then the yeah. Lightning Strikes, who were totally not the Thunderbolts. Thank you. Well, I couldn't figure out who the fuck that was supposed to be. Oh, my God. It was killing me. It took me my second read to me to realize, oh shit, because a lot of like the the one in the front who I realized after was Punisher. Was yeah. I thought that was that was Bloodsport. No, the, uh, the like Punisher one was, was so obvious. Simple, but not this Punisher. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and that all happens while Peacemaker recruits Bloodsport to Rick Flag's squad just in time to attack Waller's compound. So this story feels like it's getting closer to the end. So I think the action's really ramping up. And we're just about to hit the big confrontation of team versus team, except one of the teams is in another universe, so who knows how that's going to happen. <sighs> I think it's still a very humorous book, thanks not only to Ambush Bug, but some other cast members as well. The interactions that some people have with Talon are fantastic. The little relationship he has with Culebra is awesome. I mm. love it. I very much enjoy this book still. I hope to see it continue with this creative team for a while, well after this future state connection has run its course. I still like it. I don't know how you guys feel. I know I've I've seen some people online not really loving it, but yeah, I I, 
fucking love this book. It's a lot of fun. 8.5 out of 10. It's a lot of fun. Yeah, Ambush Bug is just killer. Yeah, Ambush Bug, yeah. Talon, and Culebra are the things I like most about this run. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it's... Yeah, uh, it's, and, it's, and, it's... and Ambush Bug was right. Like, <laughs> since the movie... Everybody's reading Bloodsport with a British accent. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, it's, right. uh, it's 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 a lot of fun, and uh, I I don't think you're alone in that. I, I mean, I haven't paid attention too much to the reviews for this book. Um, a lot of people are saying they're fucking tired of Ambush Bug, and I'm uh, like me me. Oh, yeah. no. I'm so ready. I like it was a gimmick for the first issue or two, and I was like, okay, this is fun. And then uh, when they killed quote unquote killed him as they were about to go to Oa, it was like okay. Let's just end it here. Like the ambush bug is starting to get a little tired. Um, oh, no, I think I think because I'm just I'm, I just love Keith Giffen so much in that ambush bug creation that yeah. I, anytime I can get it, like a dose of him here and there, I'm like, all right, I'll roll with it. Like it, I can I can. He's he's like the weird. Um, he's DC's Deadpool. Yeah. He's well, I was I was I was gonna Deadpool than DC. I, I was gonna say like for, for the things that I don't really enjoy in a Deadpool, I usually get out of a, an ambush bug, and I think that's probably just because I've enjoyed more of Keith Giffen's style of sarcastic comedy, if you will. Um, and I think Robbie Thompson does a great job with the voice too. So I, I gave this an eight out of ten. Like that was solid. Um, I don't really know how the timeline works with the Retaliators and everything. I'm sure yeah. someone can figure that out. Nathan, I think that's your job. Um, <laughs> to figure out where the hell this fits in the timeline. Um I, I don't know, but I assume it has to be before, you know, Justice League Incarnate, because obviously the retaliators can't still be alive, but um yeah, no, yeah, otherwise it's so. just kinda of fun. No, I assume so. Uh yeah. based on my understanding, Justice League Incarnate I've always kind of considered the third next is like the next act of the dc universe and for a lot of stories you're wrapping up their first act uh, as Agreed. you can kind of call this like year one like technically ends in march mm-hmm. so our year one ends at the end of february for a lot of the first series and so you're seeing a lot of the stories seen titans academy for example building up to their climax in 12 um and i think part of where i think this issue hurts a lot is this is very much the climactic like the penultimate everything's about to go down but as such it feels like everything's like kind of rushing but at the same time this waller storyline with earth eight just feels so unnecessary um i think this these characters have all been really good um i think this has been kind of a not like a hidden gem of the run but it's been better than i initially expected um but i'm i'm on the lower end of this compared to a lot of the other infinite frontier books my favorite being teen titans academy um so anyways that's kind of where i'm at what um, I have it's noticed, pretty valid. If, if when you look at the retaliators, if there's any question about Machine Head's appearance after what happened in Infinite Frontier, the armor is a very different color, so I'm expecting this to be like a War Machine taken over kind of deal. There's a <laughs> lot of guns on that. <laughs> cool. That's uh, Machine Head's back as well. So the armor's green, and I'm pretty sure it was like a, a brownish red in Infinite Frontier. So mm. it's probably somebody else in the suit. <laughs> well, I th- uh, Nathan, I think it's funny you brought up Teen Titans Academy. Um, I don't have a whole lot of notes on this. Uh, yeah. But uh, I, I do think it's funny you brought up TTA because while I do really love Ambush Bug, yeah, me and him go back years, 
I feel like the new ambush bug is going to be Stitch from TTA, and Stitch I am is so fun. Super excited about that. Stitch is my favorite character. Of you don't need a new ambush new bug. He ain't going nowhere. Stitch is gonna great. Replace him. They Stitch, are thriving. Stitch is awesome. Yeah, absolutely. They are. They Class are president. You know, funny as hell. So fun. <laughs> I loved, um, without going too much into it, I loved her con- or their confrontation with uh, the Titans. I just thought it was so fun. Oh, it was yeah. really good. She, yeah. I mean, they, awesome. they stood up and they were, uh, Stitch is great. I love them. Yes. Um, the other note that I had was I appreciated the two ridiculous pages with the rip-off Marvel characters. Earlier in a previous book, we had rip-off image characters, and I think... This is in response to the blatant ripoffs that both publishers have made of DC comic characters recently. Yeah. And then the very last note that I have is that this says that it's the last mission. And holy shit, I hope so. Because I am so tired of this storyline. The art looks good, but I am fucking done with Suicide Squad. None of this, it's been bouncing around forever. It's... We're going after Red X. We need that Flash. We're going to fight Swamp Thing. We're going over here. We're going over there. There's zero direction going on in this book. I don't enjoy it, which is really sad because I loved the last run of Suicide Squad. I gave Suicide Squad 11 a 5 out of 10. Well, in March, we have a Suicide Squad event. So, um, War for Earth 3. So... Yeah, I care. It's Earth going. Three. I'm so fucking tired of Earth Three and Amanda Waller. That like literally sell Earth Three to Marvel. Uh, yeah. Crime Syndicate actually wasn't terrible. So Crime Syndicate was horrible. Uh, yeah, did you read the last three issues or the first? Yeah. Because no, the first three issues are bad. The last three issues are pretty good. So. Couldn't handle it. We were not the biggest fans of that one. Could not Um, handle it. Sing DuckTales. Yeah. Oh, all right. All right. (laughs) (laughs) Enough of that. Enough of that. Oh, boy. (laughs) Uh, All right. Well, as we wind down for today, we will get into our final segments for the show, and that is the top three books for this week, our biggest stinker. And uh, if we have any nominations for the dump list, we will let you know. But first up, we will get into our top three books for the week as well as a favorite moment if you have one so uh guys what uh what were your top three books for this week um nathan as our guest you want to start us off uh i can uh i have Please. didn't have this prepared uh let's do i think number one of this detective comics number 1047 uh i think then i'm gonna go one star squadron number two okay. and then i think i'm going to go with oh, that's a hard one uh let's do superman son of kal-el number six all right. Rob, what about you, man? Oh, wait, hold on. Do you have a a favorite moment in this week's books, Nathan? Oh, uh, ooh, yeah, that's a good question. Um, I think my favorite moment this week was in Lobo and Crush number eight. It's the censoring moment where they censored the page. I just thought that was really <laughs> yeah. fun. Um, that, that was pretty cool, man. Yeah. How about you, Rob? Alright, so my top three... At number three, I had Justice League Infinite. I was a huge, huge fan of the whole multiverse stuff. I love the multiverse. Uh, two, I had Detective Comics. Wait a second. Did, you said Justice League Infinite. Did you mean Incarnate? 
Yeah, you know, I, I I was thinking about Just League Infinity the same time I was reading that word. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, incarnate. Um, uh, two, I had Detective Comics that cover though it was just beautiful. And number one, I had Dark Knights of Steel, Else Worlds to the Max, just awesome. Uh, favorite moment, honestly, I'm kind of flip flopping between two. And I know we we don't do ties but i'm doing a tie <laughs> i do <laughs> yeah branded yeah. i'm the only one that's yeah. solidarity yeah. with 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 making yeah. people choose that <laughs> um cheaters for, for first off uh the metal men in dkos was just like i, I got to that Wild. page and saw these people riding horses <laughs> like is that the metal men? I was like, holy yeah. shit, that's the metal men. Yeah, there's gold, there's lead, there's iron. I didn't think that so, until they said it. I had no fucking clue. Who I, I saw the color yeah. scheme and I was like, this is going to be the metal men, isn't it? Yeah. It was the color scheme. Yeah. yeah. I was. I did not expect that. Of all the things to not expect in DKOS, I did not expect the metal men. But honestly, <laughs> makes a lot of sense at the same time. Hey, good for Magnus, man. He's got his own lands and everything. Right. And can I, can yeah. I say it is quite refreshing to see the metal men not penned by Dan Didio? The deal. I actually didn't think it was did that, that bad. Did that series even finish? It did. It it did, did it? but oh, it yeah. it was really good right up until the last issue, and it just oh yeah, no, it I, bummed me that. the hell out, man. Yeah. I don't even. I know I read it, but I don't remember a thing about it. Exactly. I, I remember it being fun for a while, <laughs> but yeah, no, I do. I do remember the ending was uh, was a little lackluster. And then Didio put his self in the damn comic book like four or five <laughs> times. Uh. Hey, he got, he got fired, so he had to get back somehow. I guess. Yeah. <laughs> um, and my my second favorite is if you couldn't guess, I had to include the the zoo crew. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Doctor Batman punching out feline Faust while screaming, "I fucking hate magic." Yeah. <laughs> Thank you for referring to him by book. his proper name. Yeah, you and me both, Thomas. You and me both. Um, <laughs> Uh, my favorite books for this week were uh, at number three. I had Arkham City, The Order of the World. Um, like I said, even if it was a little bit of a drop from three, still really dug you know the story and the art and just this whole um, vibe that the the story has going on. At two, I had Superman, Son of Kal-el. Number six, um, and number one, I had it, uh, Detective Comics ten forty seven. Um, even if they're you know, I had some some criticisms of, of predictability in terms of the setup and uh, and some other stuff. I, I did think it was like you know a, a pretty cool start, and I'm just interested to see where everything's going with the family. Um, but my favorite moment definitely has to go to Batman 118, the final page where it's just him with those black eyes. It was just horrifying and really unsettling, but but definitely you know had me interested in what happens next, and it was just beautifully captured by Jorge Molina. So. Oh yes, good stuff. Um, All right. Well, while that was fun, we have a hey. Wait a minute. I don't get to say mine. Oh my god! I see how it is. I'm so sorry. Oh no, no, no. It's all right, man. I guess I don't count. I I swear to God, I thought you were gone. I'm so sorry. I'm just giving you shit, man. Uh, My top three in number three is going to be Son of Kal El. I think that was a great story. Number two, just eking above that, was Detective Comics. And my number one this week was Batman. I do want to holler out an honorable mention to Dark Knights of Steel because it was a fantastic book, but I I myself never put the Lightning Review books into my top three. And then I 
surprise, surprise, did have two favorite moments this surprise, week. Surprise, surprise, it's Lando in disguise. <laughs> uh, my first favorite moment was in Batman 119. It spans quite a few pages, but it happens in seconds. And it when it's when Batman meets Abyss and how that ends. Like I said before, blind as a bat. Uh, and my second favorite moment was when um, this comic podcast told off all the dipshits out there. <laughs> yeah. Amen. That's it. Nice, <laughs> How about nice. <laughs> Do you guys smell that? Oh, uh, whoa. Kind of stinky. Wow. Ew. Yes, if you're smelling something stinky, it's because we're moving on to our next and uh, 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 second to last segment for the show. The biggest thinker. Oh, that's nasty. We nominate our worst or at least weakest title for this week um, as our, 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 our biggest thinker. So um, again, Nathan, as our guest, I'm going to let you uh, chime in and, and give us your, your biggest thinker, your worst title for this week. Yeah, I mean, we didn't talk about it, uh, but World of Krypton number two. Uh, oh, jeez. I want it to like it. Krypton is my favorite <laughs> DC comic show. Everyone can fight me on that. I think that show is great and one of the most underloved shows of, of DC comics I ever. I will fight you on that. Did you see what they did to the main man? Oh, Lobo? Man. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, I thought that characterization I'm was a Lobo so fun fan. though. Like, I liked the Lobo in that. They almost gave him a TV show too, so we missed out on that. I would have been, um, but I, I, I want DC to do more with these sorts of. Let's go back and tell stories that have already been told, and give them a new, more modern uh, sense of art and storytelling dialogue for new it, readers. As long as but, there's a purpose and yeah. it makes sense. But this just, I mean, this this was also, I liked the first issue a lot more. This was just kind of felt like a rehashing of sort of like the Phantom Zone plot. And I just, that's one of the least interesting parts about Krypton is like what's about to explode. I like the stories when like, it's just about like the, the houses sort of navigating each other. And this just hasn't been it for me. I am totally on board with yeah. the world of Krypton. I, uh, I, ha- I didn't like issue one either. I, I had enjoyed and, issue one. I, I didn't love it, but I thought it was interesting at least. And, and like you said, Nathan, I do like glimpses into the past of Krypton. I feel like there's a lot there that you can just kind of discuss about, you know, the Kryptonian culture prior to its explosion. Um, but yeah, no, I could I could definitely feel a drop in this issue at least. And I don't know what it was about the art. Like, I you know, I I didn't... I didn't hate Ava Noming's stuff in the first issue. I thought it fit, but again, I, I think the second one, it just, it, it, something wasn't working for me. Heard that. I'll go next because it's no surprise. Um, Suicide Squad gets this prize. It's really stinky. <laughs> yeah, uh, I, I completely forgot World of Krypton came out this week. So you didn't, didn't miss it. I read everything, read it, so it's okay. I, I'm putting on my sync list just on fucking principle oh. because, <laughs> as I said, when issue one came out, I don't yeah. think Krypton is anything more than a plot device, and that plot <laughs> is its utter destruction, and that's it. I don't yeah, think there's I... really much of a story towards like you could write a story towards the people, but what does it matter? They're going to die, and <laughs> as far as continuity goes. That's the entirety of their civilization. It's also Superman Agreed. Go to Earth. Why are I'm you with you, writing man. or reading or drawing anything about Krypton's history? 
and it's been done to death. Uh, and I mean, come on now, crew L. Yeah, no, seriously? It, I, I I ripped on that in the last issue because I was just like, that is just, and it's so painfully on the nose. It's like it it kills yeah. me. But um, yeah, hey, and you know what, Nathan, I, I apologize. I did enjoy the first season of. I loved <laughs> both seasons. Um, but part of what makes Krypton special is it's really an Elseworlds. Like the whole premise of it is an Elseworlds where the people who don't have any contact with Superman and like what he ends up standing for find themselves stuck fight suck interacting with all these super villain villains who have come time traveling to beat Superman before Superman can happen. And I just think that's, and like, that's just so fun. But Krypton's also this really unique story that only works because of really good writing. And the fact that really in a sense has nothing to do with the explosion of Krypton um, but any story that has to do with the explosion of Krypton or the events leading up to the explosion of Krypton just haven't have never been stellar. Yeah, and what was that dude's name? That uh, oh damn, I can't remember. I keep on wanting to say Ragnarok, but that's not it. Um, starts with an R. Completely which, which redefined. Ah, uh, I want to say, man, I want to blame Bendis for it, but he. Uh, Rogelzad. Uh, oh, God. Oh. Well, this podcast is cursed <laughs> now that we've mentioned it. So I just, I, anything that goes back and touches that, touches Krypton prior, it, it drives me insane. I'm on the same page with Rob. You give me new Krypton, you give me Candor, you give me any of that, and I will read it all day long. But when you're going back and touching a, a thing, a plot device, which it, it really is nothing more than that, in my opinion, and you're going back and trying to explore a plot, a, po- a, a plot device, it's like a Halloween movie, a movie, you know, from the franchise where someone's just sitting there and reading out of Michael Myers diary. It's boring as shit. There's no purpose to it. And ultimately it's not going to change. anything. might I recommend the 1987 world of Krypton from John Byrne and Mike Mignola, which is a book I actually really like. Uh, if it's by <laughs> Byrne and Mignola, then yes, you can recommend yeah. it. But, uh, no, um, Krypton is the Uncle Ben of DC. Uh, oh. oh my God! Yes. Uh, <laughs> true. Hot take, uh, and true. I like it. Oh, <laughs> uh, I suppose we're on to the dump list, huh? Yeah, well, well, I didn't get to give my biggest stinker. Jeez. But I guess it's only <laughs> I fair did that on I, purpose. I over you. Um, no, it was it was kind of hard because I, I didn't really have any titles that I hated this week um, or, or thought were you know, terribly weak or anything. Um, but I guess if I had to choose, uh, you know, I would probably, um, uh, yeah, I don't know. If I, if I had to choose, I would probably put Suicide Squad there myself. Again, I thought it was fun. I didn't really hate it. Um, and, you know, I, I mean, well, I'm not super excited about the, war for earth 3 crossover i feel like the book's been fun so far and, and like nathan said kind of underrated at some points um but yeah no it just you know uh, uh, compared to the other titles it's uh it's probably the weakest of them so sorry suicide squad i'm not i'm not gonna put world of crypt on there because i like i don't know i, I didn't think it was that bad <laughs> but as like i just i didn't know that i had a big opinion on it and i didn't think it was as good as the, the first issue 
or I didn't enjoy it as much as the first book did. I definitely did some eye rolling and growling, yeah. but um, yeah, the cruel thing, I like, it just it, oh, it's so yeah. so painful. As far as the dump list, I'm assuming nobody else has nobody has anything to put on it. Um, I wish we could put Suicide Squad on it, but we're too far invested now, so we're gonna ride that one out. Might as well. Am I? Am I wrong? Does anybody else have anything? I think we had a pretty solid week this yeah, week. Yeah, might might as well. All right, we're going to pass on the toilet flush. <laughs> All right, well, that's our show, everybody. Thanks so much for listening. We'll be here talking comics next week, and we hope you'll stop by. Of course, remember to go to notarobotpodcast.com for all of our episodes and our other shows with all sorts of people. Uh, but with that, there's only one way that we'd say goodbye around here. Uh, until next time. So you get to each other. And don't be a robot. Just have